Shalom, all you commanders, eagles, and angels. This is Rainbird, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Tyron Rama's Hard News on Friday nights on BBS Radio Station 1. We're grateful you're joining us here tonight, and we'd like to take a few moments to go into our heart space and set the tone for the evening. So I hear that calling drum. <laughs> Let us all take a few gentle breaths. Breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, or whatever breathing protocol you like to use. Just go slow, gently. Let go of that dross of the day. Go into your heart space. Gather around with your guides and guardians, your ancestors, your spirit teams, your totems, whoever you like to journey with that kimi drum with. <clears throat> so there's a council fire, and it's in the center. Let's gather around that council fire in that virtual way we know how to do. Make a circle. And that's good. Now let's just take that journey with the Kimi drum as we call in the seven galactic directions in the Mayan tradition. Welcome from the east, the house of light. May wisdom open in the dawn that is upon us so that we may see things clearly. And we greet from the north, the house of night. May wisdom mature among us so that we may see everything from within. We welcome from the West the House of Transformation. May wisdom be transformed into right action so that we might accomplish what must be done. And we greet from the South, the house of the eternal sun. May right action give us the harvest so that we might enjoy the fruits of the planetary being. Welcome from above, the house of paradise, where the star people and the ancestors gather. May their blessings reach us now. And we greet. 
greet from below the house of the earth. May the beating of the crystal planet's heart bless us with its harmonies so that we might end war. And we welcome from the central source of the galaxy, which is everywhere at once. May everything be recognized as the light of mutual love. Ayam Hunapku even Maya Imaho. Ayam Hunapku even Maya Imaho. Ayam Hunapku even Maya Imaho. All hail the harmony of mind and nature. Ho Matakriyasan. In Lakash Alakin, I am another you, you are another me. <clears throat> so just stay wherever that drumbeat took you. As we take a few moments to look at the record of days, the Mayan record of days. And so we'll talk about today and the wave we're in and then as we go through the weeks. And if you're writing it down, I'm going to give you two weeks because I won't be here next week. <laughs> so let's start with today. It's a full moon today with the blue overtone storm. So the mantra, <clears throat> well, the, the key words for overtone is command, radiance, and empower. That's the five tone, the overtone. And then the key words for kawak, the the storm, the solar glyph of the day, are catalyze energy and self-generation. So we have this mantra for using those words. I empower in order to catalyze commanding energy. I seal the matrix of self-generation with the overtone of radiance. I'm guided by the power of accomplishment. And I am a galactic activation portal. Enter me. So this is a portal day. And that guide for the day is the hand, the power of accomplishment. So it's the blue hand and then the occult power for today, which is the aspect we're in right now and, and for the whole day, but it's centered in the evening, the last quarter of the day. So the occult power is the white wind. And uh, our ally today is the yellow sun. And our challenge teacher today is the red moon. So we're we're assisted by the sun and we're challenged by the moon <laughs> and then it's that full moon so it's our teacher today uh, in that way so let's embrace these energies let's look at that a little bit closer this block energy Quark um, <clears throat> is a visionary aspect and so our, our work with this energy is to create transformation for others, enlightening cl- clear thought. So we embrace these gifts of that possibility of freedom, that power of catalyzing, as we let go of any addiction to crisis or despair, let go of fear or any illusion of separation. 
And then tomorrow on Saturday, we complete this union, which is the 12th union. And so it's an how the yellow cosmic sun and the sun is a healing aspect. So it's about rising to Christ consciousness and striving towards wholeness. And it's about transmitting energy to others. So we embrace these gifts of that possibility thinking and that unconditional love and the God self as we let go of any limitation or separation. And we're working with that tone of that promise to change, the cosmic tone. So that's where the wheel turns and we start again. So on Sunday we have a, <clears throat> the the white lunar dragon, or the red lunar dragon, excuse me, Emish, Juan Emish. And we begin the last union in this hob. And the hob is the name of that unit of 12, 13 unions and 20 glyphs in each one as we, the 260 days in the matrix of the, that it makes with the portal days that are in there. So we call that the hob. So we start the last 13 or 20 days of the hob, the last circle around that wheel, the Mayan wheel. And uh, on we do that on Sunday. So it's a portal day as well, another galactic activation portal. So this um, dragon energy is about, is an artist aspect and it's about creating, creation and self-dependence and trusting in the universe and embracing that clarity of mind as we do this in that beginning, that beginner's mind is as we begin to round the wheel again. So we embrace these gifts of that being that source of creation and the gift of the, the beginning. So let's let go of any illusion of lack of support as we embrace these energies on Sunday. And it will be a portal day, so that's a powerful day. But it and it's a red resonant dragon, so we're working with the um, the seven tone as the guide, and that that magic seven. It's the difference between thirteen and twenty, the the fractal that we use in this galactic counter days, and it's also the the midway point between the 13 tones and the the number 7 is the top of the mountain <clears throat> in that way so there you go we're working on a powerful day on sunday and um and then on tuesday i mean monday <laughs> we we have an eight each the white galactic wind and uh so that's it galactic tone that octave and we just we always visit this galactic tone the week after the the or the the, the um the, the week that we were in as we were surfing the Zabuya we revisited on the galactic tone so it's a visionary aspect and we're working with co-creation of heaven on earth with with this energy of the wind each and we're working with truth in all matters and remembering our unity with spirit. So let's embrace these gifts of having that voice of spirit and spirit working through us. As we let go of any judgment of others or any secretiveness. And then going on to Monday, 
Tuesday is a nine arc ball, the blue solar night. And this is an artist aspect, and it's about our participation and our belief in our abundance. And and it's about learning from our dream time. So let's dream in our abundance and, and, and embrace these gifts of that protection of the night and being the mystery of life. As we let go of any self-judgment or, or let go of any withdrawal as we do this energy on Tuesday and then Wednesday is the 10 con, the yellow planetary seed. And... Con seed is a healing aspect, so we're working with the openness to life and self-determination and harmony-seeking and timing. The seed knows all about timing, and we embrace these gifts of that possibility and the potential of creation with this energy on Wednesday, and it's a planetary tone, so it's manifestation. So let's let's manifest what we need and let go of any stagnation or any lack of self-confidence. No hesitation and no lack of trust with this energy. Just embrace it and manifest what you need. And then moving on to Thursday, this 11th Chik Chong, the, the red spectral serpent. The spectral tone is about letting go of what we no longer need, and there's no better teacher than the serpent, which is a warrior aspect, and knows how to let go of its old skin and grow a new one. So it's a really good letting go day on Thursday. Uh, the work of the of the serpent is remaining open to change and distinguishing between the body and the soul. And it's about transmuting energy. So let's embrace these gifts of that motivation to change, that instinct, that body sensing. As we let go of any insecurities or fears of intimacy or any issues about the body, and let go of those blockages by the ego. As we embrace these energies on Thursday and then Friday when we come back, it will be a 12 Kimi, the white crystal linker of worlds. It's another warrior aspect, Kimi is, and uh, it's about forgiveness and moving into a state of grace. So <laughs> let's embrace these gifts of that world bridger and bridging between the past and the future and, and, and embrace that transmutation. Let's do that good work as we let go of that which is no more. Let go of the ego or any controlling behavior. Let go of that thought that that life is a struggle. It's not. <laughs> Grease the wheels. And then I'm going to give you next week because I'm not going to be here next week. So we're going to just roll out to Saturday completing this wave. Of, of the Blue Eagle and um, with a 13 Monique, the Blue Cosmic Hand. And then on Sunday, we start the new wave of Lamont. It's the, it's the Yellow Magnetic Star. And it's about <clears throat> learning to compromise and not giving away our power. This new wave, we start on next Sunday. And then on Monday, it's a Tuma Look the red lunar moon, 
and that's Indigenous Peoples Day, so we'll be celebrating that in an Indigenous kind of way. And then on Tuesday, it's a three ox, the white electric dog. Wednesday is a four chewing, the blue self-existing monkey. Thursday is a five ebb, the yellow overtone human. And then Friday, we come back, and I'll be back by then. It'll be the Red Rhythmic Skywalker, and also is Friday the 13th of October. So we have a Friday the 13th in October, a Mother's Day, I call it. (laughs) And that'll be a good day to be back. So there you go. That's the week ahead. And the next week after it, we cover it a lot. And... Um, let's see. With that, I'm going to change my hat and talk about the housekeeping. As we are a listener-supported radio program, it's each of us that get it done. And we have expenses each week with BBS Radio and um, and then Tara and Rama have bills that need to be paid, and we assist with that. And this is our way of honoring the work and participating in the work that we do here each week. Um, So wonderful news. The radio, we got the first week paid, and um, and it looks like we're going to be able to get the second week paid by tomorrow. Um, We'll we'll update tomorrow and find out. And uh, so that just leads to third week, which was last week, and then the upcoming week. But, uh, so we're needing uh, $710 to make that happen. And uh, there you go. That's what's happening. We're so grateful for your contributions. It's all of us that make it happen in a good way. And so much gratitude for those of you that stepped forward and made it happen already this week. Um for for the first week of September and the second week is, is about done, possibly. So we're grateful for all of you. Thank you for showing up that way. Here's how we make a contribution to BBS Radio. You want to go into your heart space and see what is yours to give. What? I forgot that I just needed to say this. It's really important because it's not the upcoming week. It's this week. In other words, last week was gone, and this week is gone, too. Tomorrow it's the last day. Oh, okay, so I understand that now. I was taking a week out of the month, and I can't do that. Gone. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) All right. Um, so yeah, we're behind two more weeks in September because this is, this is the last of September. So we, September is over tomorrow and thank you Tara for that correction. Um, I'm back on the right page. So as we, as we go to bbsradio.com on the homepage, you'll see the schedule. And what we're looking for is the listings for our programs there because that's how we access our account is by clicking on the icon that is there at at that listing. So the listings include Thursday nights, the night at the round table with the panel, and you can click on that icon. And then there's one for this program, the the, uh, hard news on Friday nights with Tara and Rama. And you'll see that listed at the 8 o'clock hour uh, on the schedule as we are in central time on the schedule. And then on Saturdays, we have a program on Radio Station 2. We invite you all to join us on 
on Radio Station 2 on Saturdays, starting at 3.30 Central. And there's an icon there. If you click on that, it will also take you to our account. So that program actually goes until 2.30 Eastern. Uh, So it goes until... Uh, I'm trying to think of what Central is. It's, I guess it's one thirty. It's just one hour different. Yeah, it's, it goes until one thirty a.m. So it's a long program, but <laughs> it's very interesting and keeps it keeps you uh, interested. So great, it's great to listen to that one as well and join us as you can. Um, so anyway, as you as you. Uh, Click on those icons. That'll take you directly to our account where you can make a donation in any amount. So thank you for taking that action. We're so grateful for your participation and in making it happen in the way it needs to. We're so grateful for all that BBS Radio uh, does for us, and we're grateful for their patience that they have extended to us as we as we get it all together and inspire more people to donate. We're, and then as you're donating and you're a regular, and if you can donate a little bit more, that helps as well. And if you've never donated, just any amount will work. So take that action and and contribute that way and, and let those blessings roll forward for paying it forward like that. It for sure happens every time, and I can promise you. <laughs> And then uh, we're also assisting Tara and Rama with their needs, and this week they need they have bills that are coming due. And uh, so the bills that are coming due is the the phone at one fifty three eighty five, and uh, the gas bill is fourteen dollars and eight cents. The electric bill is one hundred and ten dollars and eight cents. We got some good numbers rolling here. And then the windstream bill is one forty one sixty one. So that comes out to four hundred and twenty dollars altogether. Um, and so as we can contribute and make that happen and get those paid, that's just wonderful. So thank you for taking that action in assisting Tara Rama. And here's how we do that. You want to go to the web address, and you want to go there anyway. If you're new to the program and have never been there, it, the web address is rainbowroundtable.net. There's a lot of information on that on that site. You'll find a listing for Nassar Law, and that's helpful to read that. But go on down to the bottom to find where you donate link is on that menu. So click on that menu grid, go to the bottom, and right next to the bottom is a donate link. Click on that, and that'll take you to Rama's PayPal account, or rather the Rainbow Roundtable PayPal account. And uh, you can make a donation in any amount from there to that PayPal account. And there's a friends option with PayPal. And to access that, you need this mailing address to put in as for the gift, as a gift, as we are all friends and family here. <laughs> so this email address for making that donation is Koran, K-O-R-A-N, 999949. For each of the directions, <laughs> and then that's at hotmail.com. So that's the the email you want to enter for that friends option. Either way is perfect. We're grateful for all your donations and so much, so much gratitude. Thirteen thank yous and honey in the heart. 
So here's how we what we also need to do once we make a donation is to send an email to Rama and let him know what you sent when you sent it so he can manage his day. <laughs> and so that um, that email for Rama is Koran999 at Comcast.net. And also, if you need it, the mailing address is as follows. Ram D. Berkowitz, R-A-M-D, Berkowitz, B-E-R-K-O-W-I-T-Z. Post Office Box 280-280 in Santa Cruz, New Mexico is the city and the state. The zip is 87567. I'll say it again. Santa Cruz, New Mexico, 87567. So there you have it, all the information and lots and lots of gratitude for all your donations and gratitude for Tara and Rama for all that they do. I forgot to mention they also need $200 each week to cover their living expenses. And so that's important to make sure that they are able to feed their all their little pashats around there and, and have plenty of compost to take to the critters <laughs> in the woods. So 13 thank yous, honey in the heart, long life, no evil, and I'm passing this talking stick. And there's still a lot of false celebration, and that's Excalibur Sword of Truth is there, Quetzalcoatl, uh, the Rainbow Feathered Serpent, and lots and lots of um, angelic presence and lots of gem energy, healing energy, and um, lots of lots of feathers and, and fairies and little people. And so I'm and I'm seeing those menahunis and and dwarves and elves and <clears throat> and the little tiny fairies <laughs> and also there's all kinds of what oh yeah the dragon energy is there so that's what that is I see that fire the fire of the dragon energy and the unicorns are present and on board so greetings. Tara here comes his talking stick. It's loaded. Watch out for that unicorn horn. It's sharp. That's funny. Greetings, everyone. Greetings. In the light of the most radiant one. We're really going through the thick of it now, everybody. And the frequencies are continuing to go higher. And so the message is to not react react to anything that the dark side is cooking up. Yes. Or already have cooked up. Uh, and the only only message that Mother gave is to leave it all alone. Not part of it, not some of it, all of it. Because they want to distract you while they do some more really naughty things. Right, Rama? Yeah. So what do you have to share? Or should I read the first part of what 
Rama didn't finish giving me the message as usual. We're all scrambling to do everything under the sun. And we get a lot of phone calls. So um, I will start here with what I have. So Rama speaking here. He said, I received a text message from Mr. X today at 1.20 p.m. this afternoon. He said to me, Lord, no, he said, greetings, Lord Rama. I received a text message from Mr. X. Oh, I'm sorry. That's a, not that twice. <laughs> Chat. So, okay. Uh, he said, uh, this drama coming up on October 3rd and 4th, Wednesday and Thursday, is about the so-called EPS test. EBS. E, excuse me, EBS test. And I'm just saying this on the side. It's against the law. EBS tests are only supposed to be done locally where there's something that's important for everybody in that local region to know. It's not allowed to do it on the cross the nation. And what this is doing is 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 this is FEMA tied in with Homeland Gestapo since nine eleven. It's worse than that because they violated the law, which means that this is the real real hardcore fascist uh you know, dictatorship. Yeah. In other words, you don't establish something that everybody thinks is fine, that you can dictate whatever you want by doing an EBS test. That is against the law, and that's the reason why. You're obliterating democracy, all gone. And that's what Hitler did. That's what Mussolini did. A few other folks. <laughs> and the church has been doing forever. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I remember that doctrine of discovery thing. Mm. Indians are not humans. Kill them all. That's basically what that doctrine of discovery said. They ordered them to be killed, and that's what Waste they did. Waste with fire. There were 160 million Native Americans to 200 million in the United States, and they succeeded to practically eliminate them all by the edict of the Vatican declaring they're not humans. You can have them on your dinner plate for dinner. And they did. Nasara mm-hmm. now. Okay. Now I've done my rant with that. Let's continue here. The dark side is playing with big time fear sources stories. That's all they have. If you keep everybody occupied in fear and mind control and doing what they're told or else stuff, who's going to think about Nasara? That's another thing. And I think Rainbow, just if you're here, as you give the house housekeeping, every time let's tell everybody our website. And when we get there, we can look on the bar at the top of the home page and click on the Sarah, and then they can read 33 pages of finding out what it is. 
it's the most enormous thing that's ever happened in the history of the world. And it's the uh, solution to uh, empire. They already have told us that the empire is completely gone. The illusions that are still there and their uh, refusal to step down is still there. And then the fear stuff is still still going on. And, and if it only takes a small group of concerned citizens... And it's indeed the only thing that ever has. It only takes a small group of us to stay the course on that good red road that Rainbow keeps telling us. Ancient Mayan return. The ancient Mayan return is Pakal Fogtan, and that was an incarnation of Lord Ashtar on the planet. Please and thank you. And as we said yesterday, there are millions and millions, maybe tens of millions of galactic people wearing human suits walking amongst us. And they've been doing this for a long time. And it makes a huge difference. And there will be no violence anywhere here. Uh, And these dirty birds will be escorted on starships to Dracos, which is in the constellation of Orion, in the Orion's belt area. And Princess Ardala and her father, King Dracos, will be trying these intergalactic war criminals for that kind of crime against humanity. Remember, there's humans all over this galaxy, just in the force quadrant of the Milky Way galaxies is at least 80 billion planets like ours. Well, we haven't even discussed the Delta quadrant. Yeah. <laughs> and Rama's good friend, Rana Mushi's from 175 million years in the future, whereas had we, had we done this in the first place, wouldn't be there. She reports to us back from that time that one-third of the Milky Way galaxies, galaxy has already been blown away by more war. And so what we're doing is we're stopping all of that right here, right now. This is the pristine moment in time where the possibility and probably probability was there. So all the ones that are higher beings and galactic travelers that know a lot more than maybe anything has been told on this planet for people to learn. So we are all one. This is a very momentous moment, and a lot of people think we have been smoking something funny. We always meditate, and we find a way to make every moment of our day a walking breathing, working, living meditation. And that's possible and probable. And many people are already doing it. And so there's nobody that's greater than we are. I said this yesterday. Every galactic being, every ascended master, every host of heaven, they don't know either. They took a chance on us. You know, all of this coming together right now is a chance that they took. 
having faith in humanity. And so they don't know anything about the future. They've got a better idea now. It's up to us to stay the course and accentuate the positive. And there's no side corners to this next step. Eliminate the negative. And do not mess with Mr. In Between. And science, God is a number. Don't forget that either. <laughs> uh, so um, uh, I wanted to play a small clip before we run away, but let's just finish this. So um, the dark side is playing a, with big time fear stories that as they activate, you finished reading it, Rama, the EBS test. And they're going to do it on Wednesday, and they're going to pretend they're just doing it on Thursday. In other words, they they are expecting to give this lethal blow on Wednesday, unbeknownst to all the people. And this is very naughty. So supposedly a frequency will be sent out to... to uh, To really cause harm to the uh, five uh, in in the five G with the five G, and create a lethal dose of discordant frequencies, which will cause a lethal um, will be lethal to those who have taken the jab first and foremost. That's what they did in the first place. When they brought the COVID out, they um, they combined it with uh, discordant energies, and um, I mean, I Ram and I have a feeling. You want to finish it? What else is there to say? Oh, Mister X just said that they're going to do a normal EBS test on. October 4th. No, it's going to be done for pretend on October 1st, and they're going to do it on October 3rd when people They're going to try to play with stuff on October 3rd. Let's say the Galactics are here. Nobody's given me any details, but let's say they want to create something on October 3rd. Mm-hmm. Unbeknownst to the people. Yeah. And, and then they'll do a pretend fire. one on the fourth. Yes. Anything else? Just to, you know, flood the planet with the violet flame, white fire core of being. Colin, Archangel Gabriel, and the pink ray. And uh, Ram and I discussed this a little bit today. And we both got this idea that while this EBS test uh, nationally is going on, that um, the pretend one, and they'll take care of these naughty kids the day before, but uh, it's possible that the Ashtar Command could take over the airwaves right then and there. Inshallah, God willing, that would be a nice break. (laughs) Nasara <laughs> now they would enact Nasara law, and we've also been feeling and the faction three white knights that have been talking to Ramar, you know, keep on saying something really, really big is going to happen, and 
How do you say it? You're feeling what, Rama? Like, well, I mean, I've been going through disorientation, nausea, dizzy today. Um, not so much a headache, but just um, ascension symptoms that are huge. And, you know, your head feels like cotton. I'm not driving tonight. No. <laughs> Except the shuttle grab. <laughs> Don't drive ever when you feel that way, please. That's right. Yeah. Um, disorientation is not a good thing that goes no. together with driving, no matter what it is. No. As Mother said, leave it all alone. Whether it's in this plane or any other plane. Yeah, and you know, the church is the biggest bully in town. Yeah, these, all these stories about um, extraterrestrial brothers and sisters who shows the dark side to play like gods and scare the heaven out of folks that if you don't worship me uh, well you know uh, there's a I will kill you I will eat you <laughs> yeah and uh, Ron DeSantis got on the air and said any refugee or migrant that comes to the border just shoot him he said that on the air yeah Mr. Ron DeSantis is Place of fire, fire. As anybody can out this out fascist Donald Trump, Ron DeSantis is the one. Blaze the fire, fire. So the um, I could still like take three minutes or something, the last three minutes, and play this. It's from Tom Hartman, but and we know something that is coming, but um, I thought it was worth playing because uh, oh that's the wrong one. Oh, one where is it excuse me if I can do this fast enough okay here we what does that say resume okay here we go Oh, the sound isn't it? <laughs> so, uh, just a Batman and you grew up. David in Woodland Hills, California. Hey, David, what's on your mind today? Thank you, Guru. Uh, first of all, last week you had a story about a Republican politician whose big concern was a naked bike ride. Yes. In, in protest of that man, this is a naked phone call. Okay. <laughs> All right, Dave. Put your clothes back on and call me back. <laughs> so so uh, uh, you and I have spoken about alternative medicine in the past, and in the summer of 2019, I developed a tumor on my neck, excruciating pain, nothing worked, aspirin, ibuprofen, nothing worked, and I began to follow the protocol of Dr. Julian Whitaker, who may or may not have done your show. He's the American Medical Association doctor who, who uh, uh, apprenticed with Linus Pauling, the Nobel Prize winner who worked with vitamin C. Right. Although and Pauling's so, Nobel Prize had nothing to do with vitamin C, but yes. 
Yes. So, so this is this is for Joyce when she gets better, and for people who want to avoid cancer, and for people who don't want to go down the chemotherapy surgery route unless you have to. So I, it is, and it's similar to how old. I'm going to stop it because I realize it's after A, and TJ's got to do the next show. So we'll finish this uh, on the other side. Um, so. BBS Radio, best radio in town. What's the phone number for the conference call, honey? Uh, 720-716-7301. And the PIN code is 353-863-POW. All right. We'll see you on the conference, everybody. And we'll see you there. Namaste. Namaste.
Dear one, today I would like to share with you a sacred gift that our Father Mother God blessed us with at the 37th Annual World Congress on Illumination. The activities of light that take place during that global gathering are always encoded within the eternal moment of now. That means that no matter when a person experiences these gifts from on high, they receive the same benefits as if they participated live when the gifts were presented for the very first time. If you have the heart call to participate in this opportunity, please join with me and lightworkers around the world. And we begin. Beloved Father, Mother, God, from your glorious heart, I was breathed into being as a divinely conscious child of God. And into your loving heart one day, when my learning experiences on earth are complete, I shall return as my I am presence, grown to full stature. I thank you for the privilege of having life and for having a physical embodiment during this cosmic moment on earth. When the sons and daughters of God who fell from grace eons ago will at long last co-create the experience of ascending into our full divine potential as sons and daughters of God on the fifth dimensional crystalline solar new earth. Beloved Father, Mother God, thank you for allowing me and all of humanity to serve as instruments of God during this auspicious moment when our Mother God, the Holy Spirit, is reclaiming her rightful place of comprehensive divine love in every person's heart flame. I am deeply grateful to individually and collectively serve as a surrogate on behalf of all humanity. I now offer the cup of my consciousness as a holy grail through which the light of God will flow this sacred and holy day to ensure that every person on earth will victoriously return to unity consciousness through his or her own endeavors. Through the grace of my mother God's comprehensive divine love, and my Father God's divine will and power. I am now reclaiming my full divine potential as a divinely conscious child of God. Beloved Father, Mother God, as I awaken into the enlightened state of unity consciousness, Invest me with the power and love 
to magnetize and radiate forth with every thought, feeling, word, action, belief, and memory, the divinity of my I am presence and the patterns of perfection for the new earth. I accept and know that as I awaken into unity consciousness, I am able to perpetually add to the light of the world. What I decree this day, I decree on behalf of every person on this planet, the elemental kingdom and Mother Earth, in perfect alignment with each one's divine plan and the highest good for all concerned. With this knowing, I command through the presence of God, I am. I am my I am presence and I am one with my Father, Mother, God. With every breath I take, I am breathing the highest balanced and elevated prana and life force that I am capable of receiving. This holy breath is empowering all of humanity to clearly hear the inner voice of our I am presence and the intuitive inner guidance from our Father, Mother, God. From this sacred space of listening grace, I now hear my Father, Mother, God speaking in the deepest recesses of my heart flame. And I listen. Divine words reverberating in my heart flame remind me that I am an instrument of God and that I have come to earth during this critical moment to be the heart, head, and hands of God in the physical world of form. As I listen to these words, I remember. This remembrance stirs within me the inner knowing that I have been preparing for eons of time for my divine mission during this cosmic moment. Deep within the recesses of my heart, I know that I have all of the wisdom, strength, skill, knowledge, talent, and ability I need to succeed in fulfilling my mission, God victoriously. And I have the courage to act now. Suddenly, I hear the voice of God calling me to a higher octave of divine service. 
I respond with willingness and enthusiasm. The voice of God reveals to me that due to the need of the hour, a contingency plan for Earth has been set into motion and my assistance is acutely needed in order for the plan to succeed. I joyously agree to serve in whatever capacity I am needed. The voice of God speaking within my heart flame reveals that the time is short and that I am needed as a surrogate in this unprecedented divine plan to serve as an instrument of God on behalf of all of humanity. In deep humility and compassion, I volunteer. I take a deep breath and I feel myself spiraling up a scintillating shaft of light. I realize I am standing in the pure land of boundless splendor and infinite light. In this wondrous place, I begin to hear the heartbeat of my Father, Mother God. As I assimilate this multidimensional experience, with wonder and awe. The light of a thousand suns seems to be radiating through my heart flame. Exquisite colors, fragrances, musical tones, and frequencies of vibration beyond anything I have ever experienced begin to permeate my being. This wondrous light enters the core of purity in every atomic and subatomic particle and wave of my earthly bodies and all of the spaces in between these particles. I realize that my earthly bodies are being consecrated by my Father Mother God the cosmic I am, all that is. I feel a slight pressure on the top of my head and I intuitively hear the voice of my Father Mother God issuing a divine edict within my heart flame. We are your Father, Mother God. And with this sacred fire from the core of creation, we now consecrate your earthly bodies. We consecrate your mind to be one with the divine mind of God. 
we consecrate your eyes to perceive the truth and to recognize perfection in all things. We consecrate your ears to hear the still small voice of God within your heart for guidance and illumination. This will allow you to truly listen and to respond with love to all those who communicate with you. We consecrate your lips to express only truth and to communicate clearly, openly, and honestly whenever you speak. We consecrate your nostrils to breathe in the perfectly balanced holy breath of the divine masculine and the divine feminine. This elevated holy breath will now revitalize, rejuvenate, restore, renew, and resurrect your earthly bodies with every breath you take. We now consecrate your heart to be the open door through which our comprehensive divine love and limitless abundance will now flow to bless all life. We consecrate your hands to bless and heal all that you touch. We consecrate your feet so that as you continue your earthly sojourn, you will walk the path of light and love as you fulfill your divine plan you will reach your highest divine potential as a beloved son or daughter of God. Now, as your father, mother, God, we affirm that this consecration of your earthly bodies by sacred fire has been victoriously fulfilled for every man woman and child on earth in perfect alignment with each one's highest good. And so it is. Beloved Father, Mother God, in deep humility on behalf of myself and all of humanity, I express my greatest love and gratitude in appreciation for this awesome gift of light. Allow me to be the open door for the light of God and a force of oneness and reverence for all life. Magnetized 
into my sphere of influence. Every person, place, condition, or thing that I can assist in any way with your infinite light. Give me the divine opportunity to love all life on this sweet earth free. I am open. I am willing. I am receptive. And I am grateful. I am God's infinite light in action on earth. And so it is, beloved. I am that I am. Welcome back, everyone, so much. Welcome back. this Temple of Goddess Pele transmission. The transformational power of Lemurian fire. And open body, open mind. Focusing on the cycle of breath. The in-breath is the invitation of light from the universe around you into your body of bone and blood. The bones, the blood, the cells of the body breath is the release of lower energies from your physical body, the organs, all systems of your body, sending them back to the light, back to the universe. Allowing more light, more space in your physical body for your own soul's light. Following that cycle of breath,
The invitation on the in-breath is light into the emotional body. The emotional body is a field of energy that surrounds and penetrates the physical body. Anywhere you are holding other people's emotional energy, fear, anger, grief that does not belong to you. On the out-breath, surrender it back to the light, back to the horizon. Allowing more of your own soul's light into the emotional body. And on the in-breath, light into the mental body. A field of fluid energy that surrounds and penetrates the physical and emotional bodies. Anywhere you are holding other people's thoughts, ideas, opinions, judgments, values, and even dreams. On the out-breath, purge and release all of that back to the light, back to the horizon. Allowing more light, more space in your mental body for your own soul's light. And following that cycle of breath, as I call your teams in spirit of the highest light and resonance, your higher selves from the sixth dimension to the twelfth dimension, your oversoul, the monad, All 5D to 12D helpers, guides, angels, archangels, star beings, star races, star councils, specialist teams in spirit working with you. Come be with you now. Come be with you now. And feeling the click as you call your teams in spirit. The click in your energy fields. Let's call the Archangels of the Horizontal Plane, beginning in the East with Raphael, Archangel of Air, Archangel of the Mind. The symbol of this angel is a crystal wand. The energy is emerald green fire. As you focus on the symbol, inviting that fire into the space to hold your space.
To the south is Michael, Archangel of the Element of Fire, Archangel of the Will. The symbol of this angel is a sword of flaming blue light. The energy is electric blue fire. As you focus on the symbol, calling that fire into your field to hold your personal space. To the west is Gabriel, Archangel of Water, Archangel of Emotions. The symbol of this angel is a silver chalice. And the energy is diamond white fire. As you focus on the symbol, inviting that fire to hold your personal space. To the north is Uriel, Archangel of Earth, of structure of spiritual law. The symbol of this angel is a golden pentacle. And the energy is ruby red fire. As you focus on this symbol, calling the energy of that angel to you to hold your personal space. Four Archangels, four energies and open. And let's call the Archangels of the vertical plane, Metatron and Sandophon. Beginning with Metatron from the great central sun, to bring that light through the stargate of our sun. Down into this ascending dimension of the earth plane. Golden white fire down into the structure of the building you are in. into the walls around you, into the floor beneath your feet, into the ceiling above your head. Also, windows and doors closing off the space to lower force interference. And to the below space, let's call to Sandalphon, Archangel of the Crystalline Grid of the Earth. Inviting that grid up to the structure of the building you're in. Grounding the building from foundations down into the earth. 
and then up to your feet, grounding your feet and your energy field down into the crystalline grid. Six angels, six energies and open. Let's also invite the goddess Pele into this transmission. The goddess who holds that fiery Lemurian energy, transformational power from that land that time has forgotten. And the goddess calls to you now a crystalline star tetrahedron, a fiery crystalline star tetrahedron, burning with a bright yellow and orangey light. You can step into this vehicle. It allows you to travel interdimensionally through time and space. Just step into that crystalline star tetrahedron, a fiery orangey yellow. And this tetrahedron begins to transport you to the land of Hawaii. to the base of a volcano, the home of the goddess. You land fairly quickly in a green and black landscape. Step out of the crystalline vehicle.
Notice your feet is standing on this black, solid lava rock. There are areas of green around you. But the higher you ascend, the more it turns to simply black rock. Opening your inner senses to sense the landscape around you. There is an incline. Walk up that incline of black rock. side of this volcano is an ocean where lava is flowing into the sea, causing great clouds of steam to billow into the sky. Climbing up the incline of black rock. Eventually you come to a great opening, a black opening in the earth. The temple of the goddess is within the volcano. You are called to descend into that opening. Take a step into the opening. As you descend, you notice the rough black rock begins to turn into polished steps. Going down in a kind of spiral style a spiral staircase descending deep into the volcano.
The deeper you go, the more the way is illuminated by a bright orange glow. You come to the bottom of the staircase. And ahead of you is a bridge of flat black stone that crosses a wide chasm. That bridge is three to four feet wide. Step onto that bridge, look down and notice a bright bubbling flow of lava beneath the bridge. You can feel the heat of that lava, the brightness of it. Pause on this bridge for a moment and ask permission from the goddess to enter her temple. The lava is a bright spirit and the black rock is her material form. Cross that bridge. On the other side of the bridge is a tunnel that leads into a great cavern of black stone. As you enter that cavern, notice the walls are of rough black stone, but the floor seems like black polished marble.
in the center of this large cavern is a great cauldron made of dark metal hanging by black chains from the ceiling above. The cavern is illuminated by a white hot fire from this cauldron. That white hot fire is tinged with a violet light. Find a place to sit in this cavern, perhaps on a rock. And again, call on the goddess Pele for her help in transforming all 3D energies you are carrying. Face the cauldron. And first surrender any major traumas you have experienced in this lifetime to the cauldron. all beings involved in those traumas, all situations connected to it. All emotional, mental energy connected to those traumas surrender to the cauldron as you do so the fire begins to burn brighter, a brighter white-violet, flaring up as the cauldron receives this energy. Just breathe and open as the cauldron begins to work with this energy, transforming it with bright Lemurian fire.
After a time, the brightness and the fire fades a little. Now surrender any major issues you are facing in this lifetime. Any issues and any emotional, psychic and mental energy connected to those issues, those challenges. Surrender to the cauldron. And again, the cauldron may flare up a bright white violet as it embraces these energies. allowing the Lemurian fire to transform everything in the cauldron. After a time, the fire may again fade a little.
a signal to you that you can again surrender energies to the cauldron. This time, finally, surrender any difficult relationships you are having in this lifetime. Surrender it to the fire of the cauldron. Again, the cauldron may flare up a bright white violet as it embraces these 3D energies. Allowing the Lemurian fire to transform everything you've surrendered to it. giving thanks to the goddess as she transforms these energies for you in Lemurian fire. As you've released this energy, it allows a new energy to arise within you, one of cleansing, release, and perhaps also forgiveness in some cases.
just sit in the cavern for a while while the Lemurian fire does its work. Some of this energy may be returned to you, back to you from the quadrant as pure light. If some of the energy is returned to you, just open to receive it as pure energy, transformed energy. Take your time in the cavern, being embraced by the goddess Pele. There will come a moment where the transformation is done and you can bow to the goddess, bow to the cauldron. and come out of the cavern through the tunnel back to the bridge. Again on the bridge, overflowing lava, give a moment of blessing and thanks to the goddess. And then coming back up that spiral staircase of black stone, Emerging once more into daylight. Above you, the blue sky. A landscape of black stone and further down green.
the crystalline star tetrahedron is waiting for you further down. Move towards that vehicle of interdimensional travel. Step into it. Allow the vehicle to embrace you with light. Bringing you back into this time and space. As you come back, the vehicle dissolves. Coming back to your body, feeling lighter, brighter, more open. And let's thank the goddess for assisting you in this transmission. Let's thank your teams in spirit of the highest light and resonance. Thanking all archangels of the horizontal plane and the vertical plane, allowing them all to step back. And this transmission is offered you, as always, with love and blessings, love and blessings. We are all servants of peace, and we know it deep in our hearts. And thank you, everyone here, for being a part of our lives together. All right.
Greetings, Mother. highest good of all concern to happen here that all the wishes and desires of everything we need want and desire are here manifest now and what our job is is to accept it acceptance is the key with high heart high heart love how can I be of service? How can we be of service, Mother? Greetings. Greetings, children of Ra. Interesting question. <laughs> How to be of service? The Lady Pele just was brought into the story here. Thank you, Steve Nobel. Yes. <laughs> what an amazing being. It is this primordial energy that's unfolding in a good way as these lights of 10 trillion suns pours in the lava knows where to flow is a lot shaken. It's hmm, pink harvest full moon, super moon, Aries. Energies are very high. It is a most auspicious time to be here. At the same moment, it is a challenge to be here. We ask to show up now. Now the real work begins. It's about love mm -hmm. in the deepest of darkest of places. It's 
not easy to love the devil, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. Lucy in the sky is a good dancer. <laughs> Learn from the best. Yeah. This story we're in completing itself now with this full moon bringing in these energies transfiguration is the order of the day. It's huge. It's what's happening inside of here. Twenty six thousand years. Stop. Layers upon layers of dust. That's why we come with the cosmic vacuum cleaner, so to speak. We commend you for sticking around so many are leaving and at the same moment many are coming in and the ones coming in are fully awake. They know what needs to be done to clean the planet. All the realms. It's the biggest task is cleaning the cobwebs inside here. Shadow work. Mm. It's not easy when you're stuck in those realms. And as you can call on Pele, Sekhmet, Durga, Parvati, so many names for the goddess. What's happening is the return of goddess energy at this time. And the old 
patriarchal story takes a back seat in this time of transformation. We could say on the galactic realms the old timeline of that overseer that takes the form of male energy is fading into the background goddesses coming forth this is a good thing it has been spoken about through so many stories, legends. The Rainbow Nation has returned at this time. And send more love to all the situations that are based in limitation and lack ideas of control. This is the time where highest forms of compassion and love need to come into play as we're dealing with life forms that are infinitely conscious of their own actions and at this moment let's say It is up to the arbitrators how this goes on Dracos, who just the bus driver, as it were. <laughs> Where are you taking us all, Ronald, Mother? <laughs> well, them are going to Dracos. We, oh, I see. You're that bus driver. Yes. What's going to happen here? In other words, those starships are part of your fleet. Yes. Yeah. Uh-huh. Very good. And what has been is this conclusion of the old timeline. And... We'll say it again. Not all of the reptilians, nagas, turn to the dark side. Just a few. And this is 
what has the remnant, as it were, will be taken to Dracos. The rest is about the return of heaven on earth. Let it begin with us. Sending more love to all the situations. And there are many. Not an easy time to be here in a body. Uh, navigating these energies. Mm -hmm. We commend you. Uh, once again, we say, sticking around. It is a great task we have before us. Yeah, it has been done throughout many solar systems, galaxies, throughout the seven super universes. As things unfold, expect more light to pour in, more ecstasy and joy with what you see unfolding as new life forms are coming forth and it is with great respect we say to the old life forms oh it's a joy mother pleasure yes and we don't say that with malice. They're going to get the lessons that they need. And <coughs> the galactics, are, they don't believe in violence at all. They know just how to do it. Right, Mother? Yes. I could say it is a review of your life story. And whatever that life story is about, that window to the soul, you review your life stream, what you did, what you experienced. There ain't no judge, jury, executioner. You're no, because there's nothing to judge, because there's only love. It is how you transform these thought form energies. That's the key. It's quite a task. Isn't it true, Mother, that the United States is the only first world country that still has the death penalty at all? Oh, there are a, a few others. First world countries? Maybe not first world. That's what I said. Yeah. We're the only first world country. In other yeah. words, 
we are so barbaric that we're behind the times. It doesn't work. Afraid of our own shadow. Right. And all of it is in the moment to transform, transfigure what an experience. We are going from the Flintstones to the Jetsons. <laughs> In a nanosecond. It is about what's in here. It's easy. (laughs) Yet it is very easy to get lost in the Maya of the Matrix. And right now they're at their end. Send more love. Pass the talking stick to Amy. You're done? Got a few light years to go. <laughs> oh, would you like to comment on um the situation that we have been talking about a lot about how this uh, transfer of power is completed now to the how the transfer of power is completed is about not governing with an iron fist or ideas of subjugation control it is about coming together in the circles council fires from figuring out how stuff works within ourselves and the universe And as we ask the five elements along with the Akash, the quantum field, all the answers are within us and is forthcoming. How we form a civilization that is type one, type two, in the context of interstellar travel, intergalactic contact. Right now, the civilization moving towards type one as Peace is declared. Things can happen. Instant 
we. So what do you mean by type one civilization? Type one civilization is when we have come to the realization that we need to dismantle our weapons of mass destruction, including the thought forms inside here. Yes. Then we get to the next step of how things get transfigured with alchemy. Revenge of the Sith is not a family value. (laughs) Slavery is not a family value. Yeah. And we got to get out of our heads that they're referring to a certain time period where black people were the slaves. And that's what we were talking about on the conference call. Every single human being on the planet is a slave with this empire in power. Ah. It is and it isn't. What do you mean? It is like that the devil card in the tarot. He might have yeah, to take chain, off the chain off your take neck. Take off the chain. Unhook yourself from the matrix. Yes. With love. That's the answer. Very easy. Yes, it's very easy. Yet more important people it's the first time that are getting that one. Yes. So many are still thinking that you know, they worship the ground that walks on, that rocks before them. That's a fascist. That's what got us here. You gotta be a little louder, mother. That's what got us here. It did. These fellow travelers throughout the galaxy since universes playing around with ideas of control and word magic and technology that let's say violates the prime directive And here we are. Got to send more love on this Aries super full moon. What a challenge. It is as delicate as a feather. This story got to dance with that feather. <laughs> The feather of Ma'at. Yes. And she's our future selves, right? The energies of Libra coming in here, balance. That's what the Ma'at is. And this story, hmm. Does your soul weigh 
as much as the feather or less than the feather. Hmm. That, mm. Exactly, that's the scales. Mod. Yes. And we put all in the circle. Let Pele and the fire you just listen to talking about the transfiguration of what's occurring. Maybe we can look up the positive uh, affirmations, the 42 positive affirmations of Ma'at again. Yes. Would, would you ask Rama to do that, Mother? Yes. Thank you. We better let Amy. Okay. Um, I just want you to know, Mother, that we are so grateful you praise, respect, thank, and love all the feelings that you help us bring up. It's a challenge. Yes, it is. Because. As you say, sometimes there's a, my children are a real piece of work. Yes. <laughs> um, let's say, playing around with the ideas of hmm, controlling the universe can only do get you <laughs> in that eternal dance. That's a really big ego there, right? Ah. What do you choose, love or fear? I choose love. Um, my son Christopher brought up that he kind of likes some of these Republicans, and I said to them, yeah, but they are ignorant. They are just a pawn on the board of Clever this. Clever wordsmiths. Legal yeah. ease. The words they use behind them or let's say the orcs of Mordor waiting for dinner. Well the situation is some of those people that are in that party they're kind of not aware of how much of a pawn on the board they are. And if they are maybe they sold their soul a long time ago. Well, they better wake up because denial is not a river in Egypt, right, Mother? The great shift is occurring. And send more love. Great. In the light of the most Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonis, Kadosh, Kadosh, Kadosh. Adonis, Kadosh, 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 Adonai, Savayah, Ilyahu, 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 Yohei, Yava, Adonai, Vasu, Varagas. Aloha, Mother.
Momentito, everybody. Very quiet, but we're here. Did you go tonight? Um, I was in. I was in um, a forest, and it was on one of the large um, ships. That I could call the twelve motherships that circled this planet, mm. and it was a forest that uh, the only way I could describe the trees is they they are so huge. They're like the prehistoric forests that used to be on Earth, <laughs> and I think Devil's Tower used to be one of those trees, and I mean those trees are. I, they are very high when they grow, and they will be. Now, where are these trees? On one of the um, large motherships, there's twelve of them that circle the planet, and each one of those motherships is about. Wait a minute! There's twelve trees. Twelve giant motherships that, that have you, these trees on them. Um, let me make it more specific. <laughs> there are 12 motherships that are in orbit around Mother Earth. The New Jerusalem is one of those motherships. One of the other motherships, one of the 12, is a giant ship that is comprised entirely of forests. And oh. it... It is to it is remnants of the forests that used to be on Earth, and then when everything is copacetic, they'll be brought back here and reintroduced to the planet. All over the planet, they'll be introducing. Yes, they're just for safekeeping on this one mothership. Do you yeah. know the name of that mothership? No. Hmm. <laughs> uh, and it's just so they're the, all about the size of the New Jerusalem, so they're huge. Each one of these ships is between three to 5,000 miles in diameter. Right. And there are so millions. So they have to park pretty much outside of our orbit. Completely. Yeah, and there are millions and millions of people on all these motherships that are here to help take us into the next. They're galactic beings that have human DNA. Yes, the Galactic Federation. And um, it, I just happened to um, get drawn to this one mothership that had all these trees. So today, while you were away, you were visiting that ship. Yes. 
Did you enjoy your walk in the forest? <laughs> yeah, first time I did that. Oh, right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you for sharing. And I forgot to ask Mother that big question where she said within a month, the earth will be all the dark things that have happened will be lifted off of her and she will be pristine. Yeah. And in other words, we're not going to be helping people out of this horrible shape. All the people are going to experience this in that month. Yeah. And then we're going to go from there. How are we going to maintain? And, and work, and work more with love and, in groups. Mm-hmm. A lot of the journeys people are going on is because they can hardly bear this horrific den of iniquity. <laughs> what? Oh, Tigger. She's uh, supervising, Mother. Yeah. We have this kitty that, well, we got two kitties and they're from the same litter. And one's name is Tigger and the other name is Tegan. Tigger is about at least two times, if not more, bigger than Tegan. Yet she's still a little kitten at heart, you know. <laughs> and she thinks she can fly, too. She jumps from one place to the other. And I'm going, she always makes it. <laughs> um. Right now, she's being a little weird. She's, uh, oh, she did it. All right. Well, we better get to it. Enough of cat talk. Let's play democracy now. Here we go, everybody. New York, this is Democracy Now! Unless real living conditions are created for the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh in their homes and effective mechanisms of protection from ethnic cleansing, then the likelihood that the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh will see exile from their homeland as the only way to preserve their lives and identity increases significantly. Nearly 90,000 ethnic Armenians have fled their homes in Nagorno-Karabakh after Azerbaijan carried out a military blitz to seize the contested territory. We'll go to Armenia for the latest. Then to Ukrainian-American journalist Lev Golinkin, who revealed that the Ukrainian World War II veteran honored last week in the Canadian House of Commons was actually a Nazi. Lev's reporting set off a diplomatic crisis in Canada. This is a Nazi who swore allegiance to Hitler and who was part of the group that fought for the Third Reich under command of Nazi officers. Oh, my God. Finally, to the deputy foreign minister of Cuba. We'll speak with him about the recent attack on the Cuban embassy in Washington, D.C. and U.S. foreign policy towards Cuba. The aim of the United States policy since 1960 has been to make life as difficult and as unbearable as possible for the people of Cuba with the ambition that that would lead to the overthrow of the government. That is the impact for the people of Cuba. All that and more coming up. 
Welcome to Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. U.S. officials have begun notifying federal workers that the government may shut down Saturday midnight. During a shutdown, millions of federal workers will stop being paid, including members of the military and air traffic controllers. Millions of recipients of government aid may also lose access to benefits, including 7 million women and children who rely on the WIC program, the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children. While the Senate is working on a bipartisan proposal to keep the government open, no progress appears to have been made in the House, where far-right law Lawmakers are in a battle with House Speaker Kevin McCarthy. The House passed a number of spending bills Thursday night, including a $300 million military aid package for Ukraine, but the bills will not avert a shutdown. This comes as the Washington Post reports a group of far-right Republicans are plotting to remove McCarthy as Speaker as soon as next week. President Biden addressed the possible shutdown in a speech in Tempe, Arizona, at an event honoring the late Republican Senator John McCain. Extremists in Congress more determined to shut down the government, to burn the place down, than to let the people's business be done. During the same speech, Biden warned that Donald Trump and the MAGA movement threatens the future of democracy in the United States. And there's something dangerous happening in America now. There's an extremist movement that does not share the basic beliefs in our democracy. The MAGA movement, they're not hiding their attacks. They're openly promoting them, attacking the free press as the enemy of the people, attacking the rule of law as an impediment, fomenting voter suppression and election subversion. Biden's speech in Arizona was interrupted by the climate activist Kai Newkirk, who called on the president to declare a climate emergency. Excuse my interruption, Mr. President, but I'm compelled by conscience to ask why you have yet to declare a climate emergency. Why have you yet to declare a climate emergency? Hundreds of Arizonans have died. I tell you what, if you shush up, I'll meet with you immediately after this, okay? For climate news, 18 youth activists with the Sunrise Movement were arrested Thursday after they occupied the office of House Speaker Kevin McCarthy, demanding he take action on the climate crisis and avert a government shutdown. Despite the imminent government shutdown, the Republican-controlled House Oversight Committee held its first hearing in its impeachment inquiry of Joe Biden Thursday. The hearing did not go as planned as the Republicans' own witnesses, including forensic accountant Bruce Dubinsky and George Washington University law professor Jonathan Turley, admitted there's no evidence Biden committed impeachable offenses. I do not believe that the current evidence would support articles of impeachment. I'm not here today to even suggest that there was corruption, fraud, or any wrongdoing. Republican leaders have deemed staffers dealing with the impeachment inquiry to be essential workers so they can keep working and being paid even if the government shuts down. During the House oversight hearing, Republican lawmakers refused to say if former President Donald Trump should be held accountable if convicted. They were asked that question by Texas Democratic Congress member Greg Kassar. Well, members of the oversight committee, please raise your hand if you believe both Hunter and Trump 
should be held accountable for any of the indictments against them if convicted by a jury of their peers. Raise your hand if you think that equal justice under the law applies and Trump should be held accountable. I think it is worse than embarrassing that Republicans won't raise their hands. They refuse to say that equal justice under the law should apply to everyone. A New York appeals court has rejected an effort by Donald Trump to delay his civil fraud trial, which is scheduled to begin Monday. Earlier this week, the trial judge ruled Trump and his sons, Eric and Donald Trump Jr., had fraudulently inflated the value of their assets by billions of dollars to obtain loans and lower their insurance rates. This could lead to Trump losing control of some of his most iconic New York properties, including Trump Tower, where his apartment is. Meanwhile, Trump has decided against trying to move his election interference trial in Georgia from a state to a federal court. In Pakistan, at least 52 people have died in a suicide bombing in the province in the province of Balochistan. The bombing occurred near a mosque as worshippers gathered for a religious procession to mark the birthday of the Prophet Muhammad. A separate blast today hit a mosque near Peshawar City, killing at least five people. No groups claimed responsibility for the blasts. The United Nations Refugee Agency is reporting more than 2,500 people have died or gone missing this year while attempting to cross the Mediterranean to seek protection in Europe. That's a sharp increase over last year when about 1,700 migrants died or went missing. A top official of the UN High Commissioner for Refugees official called on nations to do far more to save lives. All Mediterranean states must urgently step up search and rescue efforts and implement effective and predictable disembarkation mechanisms. Saving lives at sea and providing humanitarian assistance is one of the most basic obligations of humanity. And those performing rescue operations or helping in good faith should not be penalized for doing so. In Niger, protesters gathered again outside a French military base in the capital Niamey, demanding an immediate withdrawal of French troops. French President Emmanuel Macron has vowed to remove French troops over the coming months. The prominent pan-African activist Kemi Seba of Benin addressed protesters. To taste freedom, every people has the right to taste independence. Every people has the right to regain its dignity. And if France won't let Africans breathe, we're going to force it to listen to us. The former president of Bolivia, Gonzalo Sanchez de Lozada, and his former defense minister have agreed to pay damages to eight people killed during a 2003 massacre in the largely indigenous Aymara city of El Alto. The murders happened as massive indigenous-led protests erupted across Bolivia against a proposed pipeline in what became known as the gas war. One plaintiff in the case was Teofilo Baltazar Cero, whose pregnant wife was killed by a bullet fired through the wall of a house. He said, quote, I feel proud that Aymara Bolivians showed the world that no leader, no matter how rich or powerful they are, has absolute impunity, unquote. The U.S. case against Gonzalo Sanchez de Lozada was brought by the Center for Constitutional Rights. 
In Mexico, three arrests have been made in the state of Zacatecas after an armed group kidnapped seven teenagers Sunday. After days of searching, the bodies of six of them were found on Wednesday. One teen survived and is being treated in the hospital. Three of the teenagers were cousins. The rest were classmates. They were abducted while they were together for a sleepover. The killings have sparked outrage in a community where fighting between rival drug cartels has led to a soaring number of murders and disappearances. Many have blamed the U.S.-backed war on drugs for exacerbating drug cartel violence in Mexico. In news from Texas, a 29-year-old man from the city of Palestine has pleaded guilty to federal smuggling charges for his role in the death of 53 migrants from Mexico, Guatemala, and Honduras, who died in the back of a sweltering hot truck in San Antonio last year. Christian Martinez faces up to life in prison. He's the first of the sixth charge in the case to plead guilty. In New Mexico, a protest over the reinstallment of a statue of the violent Spanish conquistador Juan de Nate was disrupted Thursday when a man wearing a red MAGA hat opened fire and shot a Native American protester who had to be airlifted to a hospital. The shooting occurred in the city of Española. The shooter was taken into custody after he drove away in a white Tesla. The 16th century conquistador Juan de Oñate is a controversial figure in New Mexico. In 1599, a year after he became New Mexico's first colonial governor, he ordered a massacre that killed between 800 and 1,000 Acoma indigenous people. The U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has sued Elon Musk's electric car manufacturer Tesla for allowing rampant racial abuse of black workers at its plant in Fremont, California. Tesla is also accused of retaliating against workers who raised objections to the racist harassment. In a statement, the federal agency said, quote, black employees regularly encountered graffiti, including variations of the N-word, swastikas, threats and nooses on desks and other equipment in bathroom stalls within elevators and even on new vehicles rolling off the production line, unquote. California Governor Gavin Newsom has signed legislation to increase the minimum wage for fast food workers to $20 an hour. The law also creates a new council to help set industry-wide standards on pay and working conditions. The law takes effect April 1st. And on Capitol Hill, Senator Ed Markey of Massachusetts and Congressmember Jabal Molman of New York have introduced the Green New Deal for Public Schools Act, a $1.6 trillion initiative to eliminate all carbon pollution from schools. Congressmember Bowman, who's a former school principal, spoke outside the Capitol Thursday. Schools without windows. I know I have worked in them without windows and burning fossil fuels constantly with toxins all throughout the air, where kids, we're asking kids, our most precious and vulnerable resource to go learn in these spaces. That's what we're asking them to do. So while we are asking them to go to a place to be nurtured and loved and educated, we are also harming and killing them at the same time. So the Green New Deal for public schools is a response to this crisis. And those are some of the headlines. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We begin today's show in Nagorno-Karabakh, where the president of the self-declared republic at the center of a decades-long dispute between Azerbaijan and Armenia announced this week the government will dissolve itself by January 1st. 
This comes just days after Azerbaijan carried out a military blitz to seize the territory, which is mostly made up of ethnic Armenians after a 35-year fight for political autonomy. Hundreds were killed in the attack. Now Armenian officials report more than half of Nagorno-Karabakh's 120,000 residents have fled to Armenia. Thousands remain without food, shelter, and clean sources of drinking water. This is one of the refugees speaking from Goris, Armenia. We don't know what happens to us next. We don't know what the government has in store for us. There is not a single chance to go back. If there were chances, we would not leave in the first place. It is very dangerous there. In response to the worsening crisis, Samantha Power, head of USAID, said the U.S. would provide $11.5 million in aid and urge Azerbaijan to facilitate access to humanitarian workers. Armenia's warned of an ethnic cleansing campaign in the contested region. Meanwhile, on Wednesday, Azerbaijan arrested the former head of the Nagorno-Karabakh government as he was trying to cross into Armenia. For more, we're joined by Rubina Magosian, managing editor with EVN Report, an independent media outlet based in Armenia. She reported from Nagorno-Karabakh during the 2020 war. She's joining us from Yerevan, Armenia's capital. Welcome back to Democracy Now!, Rubina. Can you talk about exactly what's happening and for a global audience to explain the historical context as well? Well, that's a big question. That's a question that goes back so long. And uh, I'll try my best, but let me, let me start with what's happening today. Uh, Blatantly, it's this is ethnic cleansing. If uh, just if we listen to the numbers of see the numbers of people leaving Nagorno-Karabakh, their homeland, their centuries old homeland. It was seventy-eight thousand people last night at ten p.m. So at ten a.m., eighty-eight thousand people have left. So ten thousand in twelve hours. These are people who are just leaving everything behind, getting out in any means possible, even in cars that are not functional. Um, why is this happening is basically the question that we're going to try to answer, uh, but there's no one and short answer. This is, however, happening after 10 months of these people being star- starving, being in a blockade, being threatened, their lives constantly under threat. This is happening after they've been held hostage by Azerbaijan and all of a sudden uh, they're told they can leave uh, or reintegrate into Azerbaijan. It's like the Azerbaijani former term. We integrate uh, after being attacked. And uh, on the 19th of September, Azerbaijan, as you called it, uh, organized a blitz attack, calling it an anti-terrorist measure. Uh, which very much sounds like uh, Russia's special operation in Ukraine. So after Azerbaijan's special operation in Nagorno-Karabakh, you know, uh, hundreds of civilians died. Civilians died, and now these people have no option whether to. They they have no options. They have if they want to survive, they have to leave, and they are leaving. And the assumption is after a couple of days, there will be another single Armenian left in Azov. Whoever is left will probably be arrested, as we saw with Ruben Vartanian's case. He was arrested upon um, at the Chaput and Lachin corridor. Uh, Reuters has reported that Azerbaijan has extensive blacklists of people they're uh, they're willing to they want looking for they want to arrest uh, and what charges. No one really sure is sure of uh, made up charges. 
So this is the situation right now on the ground. Uh, people are fleeing for their lives uh, because time and again, they know there's no surviving Azerbaijan as for historically. Well, um, well, let me ask you, uh, let me first ask you about the significance of uh, the head of Nagorno-Karabakh saying that the area will, that Nagorno-Karabakh, as it's known now, will cease to exist by the end of the year. And the fact that he's been arrested trying to get into Armenia. Well, we don't know that he has himself has been arrested. That is not a confirmed news. That's not confirmed news. We actually do not have news of from Stepanaget altogether. There, uh, the very few independent journalists that were left there reporting on the situation have already left. So, effectively, we have no communication with Nagorno-Karabakh. Those who are still there, uh, some officials that we have no news about. Uh, we don't know if they're there, if they've managed to get out. We are not hearing from them, uh, and there's no, nothing confirmed at this point. As for uh, your question was with the government being dissolved, is that the question? Yes. Well, they have until January 1st to do this. Uh, but this is not so much about whether or not a republic that no one recognized uh, is is still going to exist or not, whether or not those institutions that for over 32 years people have built, and whether or not a, a democracy that could have been and was, and, uh, well, a, a more established democracy than Azerbaijan, and this is not just me saying, this is every human, human rights report uh, uh, ever saying that even uh, elections in Nagorno-Karabakh were more and fair than elections have ever been in Azerbaijan. So it's basically this democracy dying, if you, uh, you want a kind of an explanation of what's happening. Otherwise, Nagorno-Karabakh was never recognized by anyone, and if it ceased to exist, that means technically nothing other than a humanitarian disaster, the death of a possible uh, possible democracy, of a democracy, uh, happening democracy, and also just a human rights failure all over the place uh, from any perspective, from a perspective of contemporary human rights and uh, from a historical perspective. So over this the- is a humanitarian failure. Over the weekend, Armenia asked the United Nations for help monitoring the rights of ethnic Armenians in Nagorno-Karabakh, arguing they face the prospect of ethnic cleansing. Armenia's prime minister said he needed guarantees from Azerbaijan that citizens, uh, that civilians would be protected. This is what he said. Unless real living conditions are created for the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh in their homes and effective mechanisms of protection from ethnic cleansing, then the likelihood that the Armenians of Nagorno-Karabakh will see exile from their homeland as the only way to preserve their lives and identity increases significantly. So is that happening? And Rubina, you are just back from Goris, where many refugees um, are coming. Describe what you found. It has happened, almost done happening. Uh, and it's not just last week that Armenia was warning about this. Armenia has warning about this for years and at least for 10 months. This is that we had three security, uh, UN Security Council sessions. Uh, but as we know, and as like the whole situation has demonstrated, uh, demonstrated 
by acting like this, Azerbaijan has effectively demonstrated that uh, the highest platforms of humanitarian law, the highest uh, platforms of, uh, of the world, the foreign ministries of dozens and dozens, uh, dozens of countries, their word means nothing. Their resolutions will amount to not much. They basically, as Azerbaijan has demonstrated, with what is happening right now, that uh, these platforms, this, uh, these uh, countries even, uh, their foreign ministers are bankrupt, and especially anything they say is null and void of any effect. And I would say this is great news for any perpetrator regime in the world, and which we see happening and uh, all over the place. This, this is a, uh, the victory of a dictatorship over democracy, and uh, this is a dictatorship that has already also targeted Armenia. What is happening now? On the border, well, what's happening is Gori. These are people, people passed a two-hour, less than two-hour drive in 36 hours. These are people who just came with whatever they had, whatever they could pack with, whatever means they could. These are people who were just like cramped in the back of pickup trucks, in the, the back of trucks that are used for cattle just to make it. They sat on a corridor under enemy supervision for 36 hours with no communication. Now they're arriving in Armenia. What's the situation here? They have no, the government is there. There's like several humanitarian uh, access points where they're given all the help and they're given direction as to where to go. They're given uh, direction as to how to get lodging where and they're promised also kind of a livelihood and effectively jobs eventually. But these people, uh, anyway, what I can tell you are terrified. They're, uh, they're they, just survived, and I would like not call them anything else than genocide survivors, and this is a very uh, heavy word for any Armenian to use. Uh, and now they're being asked, well, where do you want to live? And uh, they say nowhere on the border because we cannot face the same enemy over and over again. And as you know, Armenia, basically most of its borders are with Azerbaijan and Turkey, which like stretches and stretch. There's no place in Armenia, technically speaking, that is not a border. If you're sitting in Yerevan and you're looking at Mount Ararat, that's Turkey. And if people are saying that we do not want to go to any border communities uh, because we, we just can't bear. Uh, and there's like... It's it's just uh, any other humanitarian disaster, and I was listening to your introduction. The world is full of them. Uh, the world has failed over and over again in this respect. And yes, the Manta Power was here, and the U.S. Prime promised $11.5 million in assistance. And I don't understand this term, humanitarian access to where? To a place where there are no longer people? To a place where, uh, as Ali have announced today, already kind of 2,300 uh, 2, Azerbaijanis have moved into the homes that are still probably warm from the Armenians that were there. So, uh, and you know, this is one kind of disaster the world can uh, easily forgive itself for its failures. Because if people are coming to Armenia uh, as Armenian citizens, as Armenians, they will not be knocking on European doors. They will not be camped anywhere. They will be uh, living within their with their own. And uh, it will not be a source site for the world to see for decades. It would not be like Shatila, like in Lebanon with the Palestinians. Rubina, so uh, you see the, this, yes? you've said you see this as a proxy war 
with Turkey and Israel on one side, um, and uh, the Turkey and Israel are uh, uh, explain the role of Turkey, Israel, Russia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan. <laughs> Oh, well, uh, it's pretty clear, actually, this, uh, um, is that started with Israel. Israel has been kind of a military partner for Azerbaijan, even before this latest, before the, uh, September 19, where the, when the attack started on, uh, on Nagorno-Karabakh, we saw, we were reporting about the increased flights from Israel that, uh, with uh, military equipment coming with more uh, you know, consolidation on the borders. And this is coming from Israel. The same thing had happened in 2020 when the amount of flights from Israel to Azerbaijan were, uh, well, indescribable. Well, as for Turkey, Turkey, well, there's not much to say. It's, uh, as they call themselves, uh, you know, um, one nation to, to, uh, to countries, Turkey, blatantly. Uh, partner for Azerbaijan, Turkey has always been very vocal about its support for Azerbaijan. Turkey is also kind of, uh, very vocal about its support. Turkey coordinated its normalization process with Armenia through Azerbaijan. So there was so you have like Turkey and Israel. Right you have Turkey and Israel supporting Azerbaijan, and Russia has a mutual defense pact with Armenia. Where do you see this going? Um, what do you think would lead to a lasting and just negotiated peace, Rubina, in this last minute we have? Uh, I think the negotiated, just negotiated test the, the uh, peace between Armenia and Azerbaijan, if that's the question, uh, well, the Karabakh uh, conflict was a big part of this negotiation piece, which is like constantly being dragged into the peace, uh, peace uh, discussions. Uh, well, the thing is, it's more than clear that Russia has, as uh, political scientists have said, like, like abdicated its duties towards Armenia time and again, time and again. And uh, it's now effectively, uh, these are my words, punishing Armenia for its uh, Western pivot uh, with uh, basically abdicating all uh, this humanitarian crisis in Artsakh would have been and should have been prevented if not the port of failure of the uh, Russian peacekeeping mission. Uh, well, this is through the watchful eye and helpful hand of the Russian peacekeeping mission and the Russian Federation that this has happened at this time, like the way it has happened, because Russia is growing increasingly uh, dissatisfied and concerned uh, with Armenia, Western pivot and Western, uh, well, presence in Armenia to start with. Also, this is in regards to the uh, UN monitoring mission on Armenia's border. So Russia is losing Armenia and therefore, if Armenia loses uh, Artsakh, which has fought for and died for for three decades now, well, uh, maybe as Armenia would come to its senses. Well, we're going to have to leave it there, but we will continue to cover this. Rubina Margosian, managing editor with EVN Report, an independent media outlet based in Armenia, uh, speaking to us from Yerevan. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org. Coming up, we'll speak with Ukrainian-American journalist Lev Golinkin. He's the one who exposed the Ukrainian World War II veteran who was honored last week in the Canadian House of Commons, revealed that he was actually a Nazi. Stay with us. 
powerful moves composed by Serge Tankian. This is Democracy Now!, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We turn now to the revelation that the Ukrainian World War II veteran honored last week in the Canadian House of Commons was actually a Nazi, setting off a diplomatic crisis. Last Friday, Canada's House of Commons gave a standing ovation to a Canadian-Ukrainian veteran who fought in a Nazi SS unit during World War II. 98-year-old Yaroslav Honka was honored during a visit by the Ukrainian president, Volodymyr Zelensky, who also applauded him. Here in the chamber today, Ukrainian-Canadians, Ukrainian-Canadian world veteran from the Second World War who fought the Ukrainian independence against the Russians and continues to support the troops today, even at his age of 98. That's the Speaker of the House of Commons, Anthony Rota, who invited Yaroslav Hunter. Rota resigned from his post Tuesday. This House is above any of us. Therefore, I must step down as your Speaker. I reiterate my profound regret for my error in recognizing an individual in the House during the joint address to Parliament of President Zelensky. That public recognition has caused pain to individuals and communities, including the Jewish community in Canada and around the world, in addition to survivors of Nazi atrocities in Poland, among other nations. I accept full responsibility for my actions. On Wednesday, Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau also formally apologized. I also want to reiterate how deeply sorry Canada is for the situation this put President Zelensky and the Ukrainian delegation in. It is extremely troubling to think that this egregious error is being politicized by Russia and its supporters to provide false propaganda about what Ukraine is fighting for. Friday's joint session was about what Canada stands for, about our steadfast support of Ukraine's fight against Putin's brutality, lies and violence. It was a moment to celebrate and acknowledge the sacrifices of Ukrainians as they fight for their democracy their freedom, their language and culture, and for peace. This is the side Canada was on in World War II, and this is the side we are on today. Meanwhile, Canada's conservative leader, Pierre Poilievre, described the event honoring the former Nazi soldier as the biggest single diplomatic embarrassment in Canada's history. This week, Poland's education minister issued a statement calling for Hunka's extradition to Poland to be tried. For more, we're joined by Lev Galinkin. He is the Ukrainian-American journalist whose reporting for the forward first confirmed Yaroslav Hunka was a World War II veteran who fought in a Nazi SS unit. Lev has reported extensively on the Ukraine crisis, Russia, and the far right. Welcome back to Democracy Now!, Lev. So explain... Exactly who this guy Hunka was. How was it that he's standing there, um, 98 years old, in the gallery, um, and pointed out uh, by the House of Commons Speaker, um, and everyone applauded? You have Trudeau uh, apologizing. I don't think um, uh, Zelensky has said anything about this yet. 
Zelensky has not, um, as far as I know, Zelensky has condemned uh, this unit, SS Galichina, in 2021 when there was a march in its honor in Kiev. So he condemned it in 2021. He's been silent since as far as this incident. I'll tell you this, Amy, as soon as I saw the news that he was described as a fighter for Ukraine's independence against Russia, I knew that he was a Nazi collaborator. The only question, the first question that just went through my mind was which unit was he in? Because that's uh, that's a euphemism that they used to say, uh, you know, we didn't fight for Germany, we fought against Russia. Uh, it's, it's a cheap rhetorical trick because when they fought against Russia, they were fighting alongside and under command of Nazi Germany. And honestly, I have been shocked because I have reported on Canada's dark history in taking in Nazi collaborators, including in the nation um, about Canada's Nazi monuments, which, uh, which they have monuments to this, to this exact division. They, this is a country that on its soil has monuments celebrating uh, the Waffen-SS, as does the United States. So in many ways, Yaroslav Hunka belonged up in the parliament because he was there as part of a country that took in at least 2,000 SS Galichina vets, 2,000 of these Waffen-SS soldiers from a division that committed horrific war crimes. And uh, one of the interesting things is because they were taking in partly because they were enemies of the USSR, so it was Cold War politics. But, and this is something that gets often lost, uh, an ancillary benefit for why Canada took them in was the using them as strike breakers to break the powers of the unions. The unions were growing strong after World War II, and these men were organized and ready to act as strike breakers. So this is a, a dark part of Canada's domestic policy and foreign policy together. So if you can explain further, when it comes to World War II, how these uh, Nazi uh, units were formed, what their relationship was with Germany. Yes, it's very important to know that uh, these people are described as, you know, they're Ukrainian heroes. The overwhelming majority of Ukraine fought against the Third Reich. Two and a half million Ukrainians perished. They gave their lives fighting against the Third Reich. Uh, the only ones who really say that, uh, you know, Ukraine, that all of Ukraine collaborated with the Nazis. That's what Vladimir Putin says. That's what Moscow propaganda says. The reality is that a small region in Western Ukraine welcomed the Nazis. And this is the same region where they started slaughtering Jews as soon as the Nazis invaded. In many cases, um, the SS didn't even have to kill the Jews because the Ukrainian nationalist uh, death squads have already done it. So these, uh, this small percentage rose up, they joined the Nazis. And in 1943, when Germany needed even more soldiers because Germany was losing the war, they created this Waffen-SS division, uh, which was mostly composed of volunteers and people like Kunka uh, said that they volunteered for this division. They committed war crimes. At the end of this, uh, at the end of the war, they were taken in and they were released. And many of them, thousands, were taken into the UK, into the US, into Canada. Uh, so, in and the, the biggest thing that's a part, that people should understand is that when we think of Nazis being taken into the New World, we think of 
Argentina and Nazis hiding there and keeping a low profile. Uh, these Nazis were openly proud of what they did in Canada. They formed organizations. They formed veterans associations. I think you know people have been asking me like, what was he thinking? Why was he even putting himself out there? And the answer is because Canada spent so long turning a blind eye to these people and allowing them to to be proud of who they are. The notion that anything would happen, the notion that people would would complain, I don't think it crossed this man's mind. Because I and everybody everybody else, the few people who reported about this, we were just called Russian propagandists. And even though even though this were literal Nazis who were historically proved to have committed war crimes, people didn't want to hear it because they were it's it's Holocaust revisionism. They were portrayed as heroes. They suddenly be, these these are war criminals who successfully painted themselves as heroes. So I was stunned that all of a sudden Canada decided to face its past. So why do you think the Ukrainian president Zelensky has not said anything, given he's condemned that unit in the past? I mean, there he was, um, along with obviously Justin Trudeau, the uh, House of Commons speaker who has since resigned, applauding this man. And how was he brought to the House of Speaker's attention? I think he lived in his area uh, to be brought to the House of Commons, to be celebrated as Zelensky met with the House of Commons. Uh, well, this is a man who was active in the community, especially I think there's evidence coming out that he he, do, he definitely donated money, Hunka did, and his family did. He donated money to the University of Alberta, for example, for a scholarship that was that the university just decided, just announced they were giving away. So this is a person who was active in the community, so he wasn't just some random, uh, random person plucked at random. So... As far as that, as far as Zelensky, I mean, he's in the middle of fighting a war. That's obviously a something that's in his mind. He was just away on a state visit. He came back. Uh, but I think the important thing is so far, I don't think anybody's asked him in the media. And I think the important question is not why hasn't he said anything, but why wasn't he asked for his response when uh, Trudeau apologized, when the Canadian parliament speaker apologized. And I also just want to say, just to understand how entrenched this is in Canada, Canada's deputy prime minister, Christia Freeland, has spent years presenting her grandfather, who was a Nazi collaborator, as a war victim, okay? So the Canadian parliament speaker spent 30 seconds turning a perpetrator into a hero. Christia Freeland has done it for decades. And explain exactly who her maternal grandfather is. Her grandfather worked as a propagandist that took over a Polish newspaper. The newspaper used to be owned by a Jew who was sent and murdered in the death camps along with his family. And her grandfather proceeded then to turn out anti-Semitic propaganda, inflaming Jew, anti-Jewish hatred as the Holocaust. This was is Michael Tromiak. Yes. So, and again, of course, she's not responsible for the sins of her grandfather and nobody's saying that. The problem is that she was actively presenting him as a victim, that she was presenting this narrative of these people were war victims and these people should be idolized. And when she was caught, she basically just blamed Russian propaganda and walked away. And again, it's not the fact that her, it's not, she's not responsible for her grandfather. She is responsible for twisting history and for revisionism and for presenting a perpetrator as a victim. And that just shows you that 
you know, of course, Kunka didn't think anything would happen because you have the deputy prime minister who was caught uh, whitewashing a Nazi collaborator and nothing happened. So, so Levitt, you can Canada now Canada's looking at it. Can you talk go about ahead, uh, Poland uh, and the education ministry saying that they want Hunka extradited to be tried? I mean, the man is 98 yeah. years old. Um, there's a mix of politics and real pain happening there. The education minister is part of a far right section of Poland. OK, so it's hard to say that he's simply doing it uh, because of his care for this. It's it's a political issue. And unfortunately, this has led to a lot of tension between Poland and Ukraine because Poland is one of Ukraine's greatest allies. But because these units like SS Galicina, they had committed horrible crimes against Polish civilians. This unit, they, it wasn't good at actually fighting. It lost when it fought actual troops. The only thing it was pretty good at was suppressing uh, resistance and committing war crimes against unarmed civilians. So Poland very much uh, feels this pain when Ukraine, which is its ally, insists on honoring butchers of Poles. But Russia is also using it and pro-Russian factions in the Polish society are using it to drive a wedge between Poland and Ukraine. So um, the Polish, one of the, he, he's doing it because there's genuine pain there, because because SS Galicina did commit war crimes. But there's also a political aspect to it that uh, it's not 100% simply just wanting to get justice. There's a lot of, unfortunately, dirty politics involved in it on both sides. Well, Lev Galinkin, we want to thank you for being with us. Ukrainian-American journalists reported extensively on the Ukraine crisis, Russia and the far right. We'll link to your latest piece in The Forward. It's headlined, Canada's House Speaker resigns over celebration of 98-year-old who fought in Nazi unit. Uh, Lev Galenkin's memoir is titled Backpack, a Bear, and Eight Crates of Vodka, a Memoir of Soviet Ukraine. Next up, we speak to the Deputy Foreign Minister of Cuba about the recent attack on the Cuban embassy in Washington, D.C., and more. Stay with us. Side are you on by Rebel Diaz here on Democracy Now, democracynow.org, The War and Peace Report. I'm Amy Goodman. We end today's show in Cuba as government officials have released footage of an individual throwing two Molotov cocktails 
inside the Cuban embassy compound in Washington, D.C. last Sunday. Cuban officials condemned it as a terrorist attack, while the Biden administration has denounced the assault but stopped short of describing it as terrorism. An investigation is underway. No arrests have been made. Cuban officials say this is the latest in a series of attacks against Cuban diplomatic missions in recent years. The attack came as international pressure continues to mount, demanding the Biden administration lift its embargo on Cuba and remove the nation from a list of state sponsors of terrorism. Cuban President Miguel Diaz-Canel addressed the UN General Assembly in New York last week, where he stressed the urgency of a new and fairer global contract. The G77 was founded six decades ago to repair centuries of injustice and abandonment. And in today's convulsive world, they are entangled in a host of world crises where poverty is on the rise and hunger is even greater. We are united by the need to change, which has not been resolved, and by the condition of being the main victims of the current global multidimensional crisis, abusive unequal exchange, scientific and technological gaps, and the degradation of the environment. But we are also united and have been for more than half a century now by the inescapable challenge and the determination to transform the current international order, which, as well as being exclusionary and irrational, is unsustainable for the planet and is not viable for the well-being of all. Just ahead of the United Nations General Assembly, Cuba hosted the G77 summit in Havana, where leaders of low- and middle-income countries echoed calls for a change to the international order. The meeting, which was also attended by China, came at a time of growing frustration against Western powers and divisions over the war in Ukraine. Also, the fight against the climate crisis and the global economic system as many global South nations face unprecedented debt, rising living costs and worsening economic crises. Cuban President Diaz-Canel also spoke about the global debt at the UN General Assembly last week. Most of the G77 nations are forced to allocate more resources to servicing debt than to investments in health or education. What sustainable development can be achieved with that noose around their necks? Well, for more, we're joined in New York by Carlos Fernandez de Cosío. Cuba's deputy foreign minister. Welcome back to Democracy Now. It's good to have you with us. If you could start off um, by talking about the attack on the Cuban embassy in Washington, D.C. Cuba's just released the video footage of the Molotov cocktails being thrown in the compound. Thank you for having me. Um, As you have explained, this is uh, throwing two Molotovs uh, cocktail over the fence and against the building of the embassy. This is in the middle of the capital of the United States on 16th Street, just a few miles from the White House. By any standard, in most capitals of the world, that would be considered a terrorist act. Imagine if it would have happened to a U.S. embassy or a NATO member embassy anywhere in the world, it would immediately be called a terrorist act. It hasn't happened to this moment. Now, there's a history of aggression against Cuban embassies and of terrorism against Cuba. And the majority of that terrorism has been financed, organized, or perpetrated from the territory of the United States by people who live here. There's a long history for that. 
and there are many victims in Cuba of terrorism, organized, perpetrated, and carried out from the territory of the United States. What do you want to see happen right now? We would expect a thorough investigation, a speedy investigation, and for the perpetrators to be prosecuted and treated as what they are, as criminals that committed a terrorist act against a diplomatic mission in the center of the U.S. Capitol. Um, I want to go to a clip uh, of Democratic Massachusetts Congress member Jim McGovern talking about Cuba on the House floor yesterday. Current U.S. policy towards Cuba is best described as continuing the sanctions and policies of Donald Trump. Every day our policies hurt the Cuban people. One thing the United States can do to provide relief is to remove Cuba from the state sponsor of terrorism list. There is absolutely no reason for Cuba to be on that list, none. And its impact affects nearly every global financial and economic institution. Many European nations and U.S. allies want to help relieve the suffering of the Cuban people, especially in the areas of health and basic needs, but their hands are tied because of the SST list and its onerous financial restrictions and punishments. Our policy is a relic from the Cold War, and quite frankly, it's cruel. So that's Congressmember Jim McGovern of Massachusetts. We're talking to Cuba's Deputy Foreign Minister Carlos Fernandez de Casillo. Um, if you can respond to what the Congressmember is saying, describe the effects of the sanctions on Cuba, and if you can relate it to the increasing number of migrants, we're seeing the same thing with Venezuela, where the U.S. Um, has imposed major sanctions against the government. Um, the increase in number of migrants that coming into the United States. The uh, the last phrase that that the congressman used was that it's a cruel policy, and that's the aim of what's being done. There's no rationale, there's no reasonable argument by any U.S. politician or member of the government to explain why Cuba should be in that list. Cuba's relationship with terrorism is as a victim. Over 3,400 deaths caused by terrorism in Cuba, not as a perpetrator. Now, the reason it's there is because of its economic effect. It's a tool to reinforce the economic blockade. A country that is in that list suffers the consequences of financial transactions and commercial transactions being cut or being damaged anywhere in the world. A few weeks after Cuba was put in that list in 2021, dozens of financial institutions that had a long relationship with Cuba, severe that relationship and cut it simply because they fear punishment by the United States, or they think that they will be in some way, they will see their interests damaged in doing business with the United States because of the influence, extraterritorial influence of the United States. I'll give you another example. Tourists from Europe are threatened by the United States if they travel to Cuba, that they will have problems if they were to travel to the United States. They will lose the exemption that they have or the waiver that they have as Europeans to travel to the US, and they would have to request a visa with the possibility of it being denied. So it's a, an extraterritorial threat from the US to European Tourist. Now, tourism is a main source of income for Cuba. It's one of our main industries. So it has an impact in our sources of fi the financial resources that we need to, to stabilize and to develop the economy. So it has an influence in Cuba's everyday life, in doing business, in trying to sell, in trying to buy, trying to make payments, trying to obtain credits from any country. I'm not speaking about the United States. I'm speaking in any country 
around the world, including countries that have a good political relationship with Cuba, which are friendly, with which we have cooperation, which we have a long lasting relationship, but the effect and the impact of US policy has a threatening effect on them. So can you explain your understanding of why the Biden administration is doing this, continuing this, uh, given that when Biden was vice president under President Obama, they changed the relationship with Cuba, talking about normalizing that relationship? It's a very important question, one that we normally ask Americans for them to explain to us why the president that during the electoral campaign committed to the to the to voters to electors that he would change swiftly the policy he hasn't done it and the excuses change and the reasons and the pretexts change to the to elections to political considerations to the presence of powerful members in congress that uh put obstacles to the president uh, to act but truly the reason is not very clear to us beyond the wish of trying to make life as unbearable as possible for the people of Cuba as a way of trying to extract from Cuba political concessions. Talk about the climate crisis. I mean, it's an issue the Cuban president raised addressing world leaders at the UN General Assembly as well um, as other G7 nations, how you are dealing with this. We have, I, I suspect you're speaking about the world crisis and the economic crisis or the economic crisis. The in climate crisis. The climate crisis is one of the largest challenges for humankind. And we're all in it together. It's in many ways the result of unsustainable patterns of production and consumption that have continued to exist in spite of the conventions, in spite of, of agreements. And it's a big threat. Unfortunately, it is a greater threat for developing countries small island states, uh, low coast, desert state, uh, countries, and the impact that's always going to be greater to the countries that suffer the disadvantages of an unfair international economic order that is also unsustainable. You need financing. You need to change the rules of trade, the, the rules of financing, the rules of transfer of technology. Without that, the climate change, which again will threaten all, will continue to be there and will not be addressed. And talk about hosting the G77 in Cuba. Uh, we just spoke to the Colombian president, Gustavo Petro, uh, who was just in Havana and talked about also joining with um, uh, Lula, um, with uh, South African president Ramaphosa, I think AMLO, the Mexican president, right? Uh, the, uh, your president was just in Mexico, is promised to lead a worldwide campaign to lift the embargo against Cuba. Well, Cuba chairs during this year, 2023, the Group of 77. It's a responsibility we took in January to try to find consensus, to, to conciliate positions in a very diverse group, uh, large countries, small countries, different ideologies. But we all suffer the same conditions of an unfair international economic order. As part of that responsibility, we hosted this summit in Cuba in which we put emphasis in science, technology and innovation as fundamental factors that can help make the leap that our countries need and, and deserve. Most of these leaders in Cuba spoke about the issues of the Group of 77 and developing countries, but they also called attention on the injustices being committed against Cuba, specifically the economic blockade, specifically the presence in the list of countries that allegedly sponsored terrorism. And we believe that there's a united front. There's a common position that is also shared by the Europeans in the case of 
the U.S. policy towards Cuba. We have to leave it there. We're going to conduct this interview in Spanish and post it at democracynow.org. Carlos Fernandez de Cosio, Cuba's deputy foreign minister, speaking to us from New York. And this breaking news, California Senator Dianne Feinstein has died at the age of 90. She was the oldest member of the Senate, the longest serving woman. Dianne Feinstein was also the first woman to serve as mayor of San Francisco. Again, this news, California Senator Dianne Feinstein has died. I'm Amy Goodman. This is Democracy Now! Thanks so much for joining us. Okay, everybody. We have one thing at the last here, and it's the best. <laughs> so this is the, called the Qu- Quantum Quest. Unifying Physics, Consciousness, and Ancient Wisdom with Dr. Teresa Bullard. And she's going to have Nassim Haramin as her guest. Uh, This is 33 minutes. Um, And Rama's ready, so I think we'll just get started. Mm -hmm. I'll just see one sentence or so. Ready for an intellectual journey into the heart of physics and consciousness? In in this captivating episode, we dive deep into the hunt for a grand unified theory that could reshape our understanding of the entire universe. I think that'll do. Let's see what these Mm. two have. Here we go. Both of them physicists, by the way. I wanted a place for people to receive authentic guidance and practical ways to awaken. Thought-provoking, paradigm-shifting, and empowering. This is about expanding our human consciousness to create a wave of new possibilities. I'm Dr. Teresa Willard-White, and this is Quantum Life TV. Welcome back to Quantum Minds TV, where we take a deep dive into various perspectives on what it's going to take to create a shift in human consciousness. In this episode, we're continuing the conversation with Nassim Haramine, founder of the Resonance Science Foundation and Taurus Tech, among many other notable achievements. And so this is something that, you know, is it, this grand unified Theory is is one of the biggest searches in quantum or just in physics and science today, which is one of these areas that Nassim has made major groundbreaking discoveries on. Um, and, and and so you know when we come back to the constants that you were talking about, Nassim, the constants in when I was going through my education, the constants there was a certain number of constants, twenty something fundamental constants and science didn't know where they came from. They just knew what they were. They knew the value and they would measure that value and they'd say, well, this is what it is. This is the mass of the, of the electron. This is the uh, coupling constant for, you know, electrons interacting with photons, for example, or charged particles interacting. Uh, this is the cosmological structure, but we don't know where it is. We just know what it is, right? We know it's value. So to come to a place where you can actually derive those fundamental constants from first principles and say, I have a theory 
uh, and a and a and a you know formula of how we can unify gravity with quantum physics, and also it emerges out of the equations these fundamental constants from first principles level. I mean that is. As far as I can tell in physics, that is a smoking gun because that is now bringing a unification and, and a simplification. But but the key here, I think, is that it reintroduces this notion of the quantum vacuum. It's not zero. We can't ignore it. The ether, you know, it's there. And this is the essence. Like this is the source that everything else is built upon. And, and even Quantum physicists today are saying, yeah, the, the quantum vacuum is highly entangled. It's the glue that holds space-time together. It's, you know, th this is, everything is ultimately from that quantum fluctuation, but they're kind of still not quite sure how to put the pieces together, and this is what you're doing. Uh, right, exactly, yeah. Exactly, so, so yeah, so they're getting to it very, very, like, you, you think of... Um, Sutskin and and um, and uh, Frank Wilczek and others are getting really close to it. It's just that the pieces um, are are not, you know, they're not arranged to go together easily. The formalism of how the math was written for these pieces is discontinued. Mm -hmm. It's it's not connected. So um, so so. Um, how how does it connect? It turns out is basically by uh, actually understanding the the fluid dynamics of that superfluid space time structure. And when you when you put it in that context, all of a sudden um, you get like a literal fluid mechanics model. And out of these fluid mechanics, like you were saying, these constants appear, meaning like the radius, the proton, the radius, the electron, the mass, the proton, the price, the Rydberg constant. Oh, if they have these mass and they have these radiuses, then they, you know, the right, the value for the, for the charge interaction will be the Rydberg constant. All of a sudden, you know, and, and, Remarkably, you know, as you're continuing the model and continuing to write these things, all of a sudden you go, "Oh wow! Look, I, from the Rydberg constant, I you output g, the gravitational constant, for the first time, like an analytical solution to g. So all of a sudden you have g with twelve-digit accuracy, which you didn't have before. G is only measured." The gravitational constant is only measured to 10 to minus 5, approximately 5, because, I mean, it's very hard to measure. We have the Cavendish experiments and stuff like that. But, and so, and so now you, now you get the relationship between these things. And you know what's the most buggling, most, I can't say too much because it's not published, <laughs> but I, is that when you start to look at the relationship, because at one point, with Dr. Olivier Alleyrol, I was trying to keep all these equations in mind and all these relationships. I was kind of losing my mind, so I, <laughs> I, can I said, let's, yeah. So I said, let's uh, let's draw a you know a kind exactly. of a graphic of like 
how things should be connected. And, uh, and so we start to draw that. And I'm not going to say which one, but what came out. And, and Olivier is not trained in any way in esoteric knowledge like you and I. Mm. So, you know, he had no idea. So he was just drawing the relationship, the mathematical relationship, right? Mm. Not just like, um, not just, you know, conceptually, but actually how the mathematics connects these things. And as he did, I'm looking at him like, it's, it turns out to be a very important ancient secret you know, a uh, 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 symbol that that's that's well known in ancient uh, esotericism. Oh uh, no, uh, the thing you can't leave me hanging like that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, what? oh, now I'm super excited to read your paper. Better get it published here. I know. It's coming. <laughs> I'm just gonna give you a, a, a hint. It comes right out of the traditions you mentioned. Oh, you all right. Mm. Yeah. Even and, more interested. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and it's it's exact, it's correct, it's analytical, uh, it's exact, it's correct, and it's describing those traditions as the foundation of creation. As if you decode this, you understand the foundation of creation, and it's uh, it's remarkable. I love it. I absolutely love it, Sam. You, you know what? If I may, the the leap that the physicists of the academic, you know, who are trying to connect the dots, but they're failing to connect the dots. I think a part of it is because the mindset, even though they understand, you know, quantum physics and so forth, they've gotten stuck into a particular mindset, some of which is still very Newtonian in its way. It's very materialistic. They they neglected the consciousness side. They neglected the, the mystical side. Any ether, they don't want to reintroduce any of that because then it opens the door again to mysticism coming back in to spirituality and physics and science all having to be considered as one rather than as separate pieces. So they're still stuck in an old paradigm way of thinking, whereas you have come and you've made that leap into a holographic way of thinking, a quantum way of thinking. You know, you've really made the leap to outside that box. And I think that's important that, you know, you came in to physics from outside because then you are pre kind of conditioned with the dogmas of, of today's scientific paradigm. And so, you know, you're, but you're bringing the science, you're bringing the math, you're bringing the derivation, you know, you're doing the rigor. Uh, that that would be happening and expected in an academic institution, but your mind is open to the esoteric side of it and, and, the, and the mystical visions in a way, that intuitive side coming in again. So this is phenomenal because we're coming into a time now. And then I switched to Liberty Mutual and saved hundreds. <laughs> I know, exactly. <laughs> now where we as a human race are needing to make a shift, right? Make a shift in our consciousness and then make a shift in our collective consciousness and then make a shift in, in what kind of world we're creating. And I have seen, um, and, and, you know, as a scientist, I was, you know, going down that track of becoming a research scientist. I got my PhD. I thought I would go into the, the, you know, national labs or something and work on some big basic physics questions and so forth. But the, the further I got down that road, the more I realized actually the academic 
um, and, and traditional science establishment was very close-minded. <laughs> and there are some younger generations who are coming through that are helping open that up again, which is, which is great. But, you know, our, meanwhile, our knowledge and our technologies uh, have really advanced forward quite a lot. But the, the people who are in charge of the, that technology and that knowledge don't necessarily have the uh, spiritual side that governs with wisdom, governs our ethics or our consciousness of how are we going to apply these technologies. So at a personal level, I left physics because, um, or the traditional track of it, because I felt like the most important thing that we need to do is create a shift in human consciousness so that we have the wisdom to guide how we apply these tools and these technologies and this knowledge that we have, you know, and the power that comes with that, uh, that we have access to, to today. Um, because if, you know, we're at this, this precipice right now, we can go down the track of, of self-destruction. Um, or we can go down a track of revolutionizing our world and creating a much better way of life on Earth, uh, one that is abundant for all, one that is, you know, there, there, there's no lack. You know, there is no lack in the universe. And the more we can tap into these quantum awarenesses, the more we become, you know, a part of that infinite abundance of the universe within our own lives, within our mentality, within what we create in our world. That just that one thing, if we could just shift that one thing away from a lack mentality into an abundance mentality, you know, that could change so much in, in what drives us in the world because we wouldn't be driven by greed and control and, you know, all these things that have driven us in the past. Uh, we can be driven by, you know, there's a, a free sharing because there's like practically free energy that's accessible to us. And yet that leap in consciousness is key. And so, Nassim, you've really been one of those people who you've come in with that. You know, it's like it's like a part of your DNA or something. You know, it's just a part of your own spirit, your mind's gift to, to think like that and to bring something really new and pioneering. And, and I really hope that you're able to make headway within the uh, traditional you know, track as well. Let's take a pause from this fascinating conversation to enjoy a quick consciousness break. The development of these views of physics we have today and what we have to alter from recovering these pieces in history to put back in to complete the model and unify it. And it's just transcendent. It really is going to change the way you see the universe the way you see yourself, the material world around you, and how you interact with it. I really look forward to seeing you there. It's gonna be amazing. Come and spend the weekend with us, and let's transform the world together. See you then. It's um, I, it was a conscious effort early on yeah. um, because I had a difficult time at school. Uh, I didn't fit in. Um, you know, I had a strange name, a strange color of skin. Um, you know, at the time in Canada, that was very rare. Um, and um, you know, I I had um, I, I'm I'm dyslexic. You know, I have difficulty with 
reading, um, especially in French, and and so on. And and um, so I was I was having all these issues. And so and and when I was trying to bring, you know, my father who, who, who is a professor in uh, child psychology and all this, and I I was hanging around. You know, because that was such a problem. I was an ideal, you know, uh, guinea pig for, you know, like why, you know, for misadapted kids, basically. And and so basically, when I was doing um, school, um, I I realized that the academic world um, was not, like you said, like not necessarily open to you know, I, I was talking to my, for instance, the section of the University of Montreal in education and child um, uh, psychology and education. I, I was seven years old, you know, uh, like 10 years old and so on. And I was talking to them about the if you are, if you want to understand a child, you need to understand what consciousness is, <laughs> you know. And if you if you want to, and 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 to assume that because the brain is not fully developed, that means the child does not have their own consciousness, that they're not fully there, right? Mm-hmm. You know, they might not be able to express it. There's there's something that's happening that you're not understanding. And and I wasn't getting any, um, you know. I realized I was very hard. So I, when I started to study physics, I really made a conscious effort to do it independently because I wanted to be able to have my own thoughts. I wanted to be able to study what I wanted to study the way I wanted to study it, and I wanted to come to my own conclusion. I didn't want to be told. No, 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 no. That's that, right? And so, uh, you know, the, so, so, so I, I, like you said, I was able to come from the outside and look at it from a different perspective and go, wait a minute, you know, you have a problem with infinities in both theories, mm-hmm. right? You have a theory of gravity that tells you that it makes black holes and singularities. Mm-hmm. And you have a, te- a theory of quantum mechanics that tells you that there's an infinite amount of energy in the vacuum that you renormalize <laughs> and end up. And, and I'm like, those two sounds like the same to me. Yeah. <laughs> and so I, you know, and, and I figured out, it took me 30 years, but I figured out how to make that link, right? But um, so, so, and it, it's just not obvious to somebody that's studied classically because okay. clearly they've been, they've been told from the beginning, those two don't relate, you know, yeah. these two things do not relate. And so, yeah. so clearly they cannot be, you know, related in terms of their infinities. They're not the same infinities, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's if like, I, well, if I you can... know. If I can interject there, I remember, you know, through my own uh, training in physics and, and PhD, like I remember coming up to this point where they would say, okay, well, the vacuum energy, we're going to just assume it's zero. So we're going to do this thing called renormalization where we eliminate it. And that makes all of our equations much more easy to solve. <laughs> and I remember physics, so much of physics is based on 
well, we're going to imagine a perfect scenario. Like we're going to imagine that the earth is a perfect sphere, even or the sun is a perfect sphere, even though it's not, it's, you know, but we're just going to, you know, pretend that it is. And then we're going to calculate everything based on that perfect ideal scenario. And and we're going to also just pretend that it's not moving. You know, it's just a static, perfect sphere. It's not moving. And now we are going to say, based on those equations that we know how things work, (laughs) but this is ideal scenarios. And then as soon as you start adding in, that there's any, you know, rotation or that it's not a perfect sphere, all of a sudden the equations become so complicated, you can't solve them easily. <laughs> and, and then it requires these massive supercomputers to chug on it for a long, 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 long time. So they just, you know, they, 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 they get away or they just dispense with the inconveniences of reality sometimes in order to solve their equations. Exactly. And, so, and so, you know, yeah, you have, yeah, you have the advantage of, of stepping out of it early on, whereas I got indoctrinated into it. And even though I kind of knew, like, something's not right here. Well, I, you got to be given credit for actually figuring it out because many people don't and they don't step out of the yeah. box. You know? yeah. And so yeah. That's remarkable that you were able to, like, even though you were in it, see outside the box and say, wait, something's not wrong. You know, one of those big approximations they do that is really a big problem is the concept of a closed system. Oh, yeah. That you can, <laughs> that you can analyze something as if it wasn't in the universe. Right. <laughs> as if it was completely isolated from everything right. else. Like, like it's and, just in this box and nothing on the outside can interfere with what's going on, including you, your thoughts, your emotions. Like scientists want to take the experimenter completely out of the picture and just right. pretend that it's, you know, none of that is going to affect it. But yeah. we, we know that that's not true. And, and if you go back to the alchemical perspective was that the alchemists saw that, you know, so science, all of science, modern medicine, all of this emerged from alchemy. And, um, and, and yet in alchemy, science and metaphysics or science and spirituality were completely integrated. And the alchemists saw that they were intimately connected with whatever it was that they were experimenting upon in the outside world. So when they had some, you know, numinous breakthrough in their experiment, it was also a spiritual epiphany kind of an experience. So they knew that they were entangled, that their thoughts affected their experiment, their emotions affected their experiment. So it's like, Alchemists had that quantum mindset, and then somehow we went away from it into this very mechanistic and deterministic mindset, the black body, you know, the closed system, closed box kind of idea. And uh, that's just not how the universe works. The universe is open, and we know right. that, and yet they're still clinging to this old way of doing things. So I love yeah, that the you, tendency you to separate things and, mm-hmm. and assume that uh, everything can be understood if you cut it in smaller and smaller pieces, which leads to the concept that if you break the atom in smaller and smaller pieces using accelerators, you're going to understand how it worked. Right. Which is Completely not... for synergy and the interaction of different parts and the Correct. emergence of new behaviors because of those interactions, right? So Exactly. Yeah. And interaction with the field and all this stuff. You know, it's it's the equivalent of taking a Swiss watch, which is complex and everything, 
smashing it with an enormous hammer, right? Like an enormous hammer that just smashes it in the smallest pieces. And then thinking that from there, you can figure out how it worked in the first place. And it's like, well, then you might have some issues, right? You might not know where the gear used to be and yeah. how it worked, right? And what was making it work, which yeah. happens to be a human on the outside cranking the thing, right? Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so, you know, this is, uh, this, is, this is why you have to approach this with a holistic view, mm. you know? Mm. I mean, holistic, you know, like you have to, you have to, Take the view from the, you can never forget that what you're analyzing is part of a field and that field is interacting with all other fields and so on. And you know, when I wrote the equation for the proton radius that turned out to be correct, I was actually trying to find an equation where I could, where I could, uh, mathematically figure out how all protons in the universe influenced one, right? <laughs> and so everybody was saying, that's not going to happen. You know, you're not going to be able to figure this out. That's an infinitely and complex, multi-bodied scenario. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Forget three-body problems, <laughs> you know. we In physics today, we only have uh, analytical solution for two-body, right? So... Three body is already a problem. Never mind 10 to the 80th protons in the universe interacting. <laughs> but lucky for me, the universe is holographic and fractal. So, so lucky for me, the vacuum fluctuation carries the information because it connects all the things. It's not to the universe. It's one thing. It's not all separate. So by analyzing one proton, I found the mass of the universe, which is the rest of the proton in the universe, right? It's, it's remarkable. Like you, you're studying a teeny particle, right? It's so small, right? And it's teeny thing. And it's like, wow, you know, out of this one proton, I can figure out from these equations all the rest of the protons in the universe, like how many there is and what's their mass and what's the size of the universe it would be in and all this stuff. And then I realized, well, yeah, but it's limited. It's screened by, um, by, a, by a surface, right? It's limited by a surface because it's, it's one proton. So all the other protons like connected to it, right? Like all the other... All the other things connected to it, they can only express in one proton through that surface. It's like a screen, right? And so then I calculated how much they can express, and it gave me the mass of the proton. It gave me exactly the energy we measure when we look at a proton. And, and that was really, really a big insight. It really kind of, it, it, it shown me again and again, it's not, it's, it's all like a network. It's like a, a, a quantized, you know, uh, entangled network that makes up the universe. It's, it, the fabric of space is like a huge network at different, all connected through scales where the black holes are like the, the, the hubs of the network, you know, mm -hmm. like in, in a, in an, 
in an internet network, it would be the computers, the servers, and then the wires between are all the wormholes that connects them all. Right. Yeah, yeah. So wow, there's so much again that you just said in there, and it's like. <laughs> so I want to I want to take a few steps back and unpack some of that, um, and just kind of break it down for people because uh, so the the holistic view that you're saying, you know, the holographic fractal like patterns. So let's just define a little bit. Um, so like when I was doing my research in in physics, one of the things that I was actually working with was fractal scaling and how to identify, you know. The, the fractal dimension of something. And a fractal means it's a fraction of a dimension. So rather than being one dimension, two dimensions, three dimensions, it was like 1.5 or 1.16 or, you know, it's a fractional dimension. Um, and fractals typically are a particular pattern that is repeated at infinite scales. You know, you can go infinitely deep into that fractal and you'll ultimately see the same pattern. You can go infinitely zoomed out in that pattern and you'll see uh, the same fractal pattern repeating again and again and again. And of course, we have these beautiful images from computer-generated fractals today that allow us to see, you know, and to visualize this concept. Um, and then the holographic concept and the fractal concept, these principles work very much together hand in hand. You know, hologram is the way that science is using it today basically is saying that inside, like whether it's inside the universe or inside a black hole or inside the proton, as you're talking about inside, there's certain information and energy and so forth contained on the inside of that. But all of that volume, what's contained on the inside is also um, in, encoded within the surface, the, the screen, as you're saying, like the surface, uh, you know, the perimeter of it. And so, for example, black hole is a volume, but they talk about the event horizon, which is the boundary uh, between, you know, where light can escape and where light can't escape. That boundary contains all the information about the black hole just upon its surface. And right at that surface at that event horizon is also where you have um, the quantum effects coming out because you know you, you have these quantum fluctuations and some of those virtual particles, typically in, in quantum field, you know, you get these what they call virtual particles where they'll sort of the particles will pop in and out of existence in too short a time span to be counted as real or actual. So they call them virtual. And then they kind of reannihilate and they pop out again and reannihilate and so forth. And this is this boiling sea of, of potential energy that the quantum vacuum is considered. But at, at the event horizon of a black hole, some of them will escape and the others will, will be annihilated or disappear inside the black hole. And so the information then that it, because they are entangled, Right in the quantum field, those particles that started as one thing are entangled, and so the information is instantaneously communicated between them, no matter how far. It's not local. It's not. And now, yeah. And now they realize if that particle falls into another black hole, now it's entangled the two black holes. Yeah, yeah, and and the, at that event horizon, it's like wormholes. The singularity becomes this network of wormholes that are wormholes all together. Yeah, That's and if right. you then if you then took that into your your you know proposal of the atom itself or the proton itself being a little black hole, and you have all these wormholes connecting them, that right. is you know how they can be entangled all together, right? Exactly, and, and and exactly, and the error that was made with the holographic principle is they they got it right. They're like, oh, the 
entropy or the energy of the, the temperature of the system is, is what's expressed on the surface that has fallen in the volume, but they're only considering, again, they've isolated the system, they're only considering the black hole as if it was isolated. Mm. But now we're, but then independently, they realize, oh, all the black holes could be connected to wormholes because the, the entangled pairs of particles, you know, one goes in, but the other one goes out. So if it falls into another black hole, now it's entangling the black holes. Mm. So through time, all black holes would be entangled. This is ER equals EPR, you know, theory. But basically, you know, all of a sudden you, you, you realize, but they didn't make the leap to, oh, that means that the information on the, in the volume of the black hole is not only what has fallen in the black hole. It's all the information that's falling in all black all holes. All the black holes, yeah, wow. That's right. <laughs> and, and when you do that, then you get the right answer. So the that right brings answer. us to the idea of why it's called the holographic principle. Because, you know, when we look at a hologram, you, you see this sort of, you know, what looks like a three-dimensional image on a two-dimensional plate. Well, that was encoded by information from a higher dimension. And then, you know, the, the light is sent to directly reflect off of it and then go direct. And then these two beams of light entangle or, or interact and interfere with each other and then are encoded on a holographic plate. But what makes it a hologram is that not only can you shine the light on it and see the whole image, but if you break that holographic plate up into infinitely small pieces and then you shine the light on it again, you'll still see the whole image. Maybe sometimes of, of, of like less resolution, but still every part contains the reflection of the whole. So you're saying oh, like every part, every black hole contains the reflection of all the black holes. And those black holes are at the center of every galaxy. Um, right. And, you know, there's big ones, there's small ones. And now you're also saying they're at the center of more than just every galaxy. And it's good that you said that you lose resolution because it's basically that's the entropy of the universe. Mm. You see it, that you see that that's the idea. It's like you there's energy leak as you cut in through the pieces, mm. and as a result, we we experience the energy as thermodynamics, heat. You know, like there's there's entropy. There's like right loss of information. There's yeah, but then there's entropy too because there's information that's being fed by all of the rest, right? Yeah. So what's lost somewhere is gained somewhere, mm -hmm. right? So mm -hmm. it's because it's sharing again. It's not isolated. It's and so the result, yeah, the result is that you have a a, a self-growing system. The thing is learning about itself. Information is increasing. And that's why the surface of the universe has to grow to increase because there's more and more information it's needing to encode. That's why it's accelerating. So join us again as we continue to dive deeper into this fascinating conversation with Nassim Haramide on the next episode of Quantum Minds TV. This conscious conversation was created, produced, and recorded by Dr. Teresa Bullard-Wyke in collaboration with Nassim Haramon and edited by Verse Content and HH Films and Photo. The theme music and intro video 
Videography were created by Tim Mountain of Evenload Productions. Quantum Minds TV is a product of the Quantum Learning Academy. Oh my God. Are we ready for ascension, everyone? <laughs> Where is those things? I Oh, they're hiding under here. I just want to say a couple of things. I'm just going to read the front of the, the written Aurora Ray here. And this is what she says. Creative thinking is not just about finding one magical solution. It is a continuous process of exploring, experimenting, and adapting. Embrace, embrace the journey of problem solving with creativity as your trusty companion. And you will find yourself coming up with innovative solutions you never thought possible. This is what freedom looks like. This is what ascension looks like. And uh, it's a never-ending story. And more bliss, more joy, more peace, more happiness. And I think I'm going to pass the talking stick to Rainbow because I know she has a few alliterations herself. And that emerald serpent feathered one is right here on this talking stick with all the angels, fairies, feathers, rainbows, crystals, and uh, Manahunis and Sasquatch and all the rest in between. Here it comes, Rainbird. Okay, I got it. Yeah, and it's a never-ending story. So we're going to just keep on keeping on <laughs> and, and getting it. At some point, more and more every day, and uh, yeah, so we get to do this some more tomorrow, and I look forward to that. I know we all do, and um, yeah, thank you for tonight. So, lots of lots of gratitude for everything, and I pass this talking stick over to you. When I want to hear it come. Okay. All right, tell everybody what this is, Rama. This is Aurora Ray, the arrival of Pleiadian ships. <laughs> oh. All right, here we go. Pleiadian ships approaching Earth. uncertain times, a glimmer of hope. Whoops. It's your comeback. Earn a degree you'll be proud of. Apply now at PurdueGlobal.edu. Hope emerges, stirring a sense of possibility within us. On the brink of a new era, a wondrous event is on the horizon. And now, as if responding to our deepest desires, something incredible is about to unfold before our very eyes. The Pleiadian ships like magnificent messengers from faraway lands, are steadily making their way closer to Earth. Can you imagine the impact of their arrival? 
It's like a key that unlocks the door to a whole new world, shimmering with possibilities beyond our wildest dreams. The Pleiadian ships come not as saviors, but as catalysts for our own awakening. They remind us that within us lies untapped power and wisdom waiting to be unleashed upon the world. Their arrival carries the promise of transformation, offering a glimpse into a world brimming with extraordinary potential. Imagine a world where limitations are shattered and where love and compassion guide our every step. A world where we are connected to the vastness of the universe, tapping into wisdom and knowledge beyond our imagination. It's a world where we discover the true power that lies within our souls, empowering us to create a future filled with harmony, understanding, and unity. These celestial vessels, adorned with radiant grace, traverse the cosmos to assist humanity's ascent. They bridge the gap between our world and the mysterious unknown, beckoning us to explore realms beyond our ordinary perception. Their arrival sets in motion a dance of infinite potential and profound discovery. The Pleiadian ships guide us on a personal and collective journey towards self-realization. As they grace our skies, a yearning for deeper truth stirs within us. They invite us to embark on a profound quest of self-discovery, knowing that the answers we seek reside within our very souls. In the light of the Pleiadian ships, we see our own divine essence reflected. They awaken the dormant spark of divinity within us, urging us to transcend our limitations, fears, and doubts. They remind us that we are not mere bystanders, but active participants in the grand cosmic symphony, capable of shaping our own destinies. The Pleiadian ships herald a future overflowing with boundless possibilities. They inspire us to envision a world where unity triumphs over division, where love conquers fear, and where compassion guides every action. In their celestial presence, we find solace in knowing that benevolent beings believe in our ability to rise above the challenges we face. As we stand on the threshold of this cosmic encounter, let us embrace the transformative energy the Pleiadian ships bring. With hope in our hearts and curiosity as our guide, we stand ready to venture into an extraordinary voyage of limitless possibilities. The time for humanity's ascension is drawing near, and in our collective evolution, we hold the power to create a world suffused with love, harmony, and boundless joy. Together, let us stride fearlessly into this magnificent expedition as we venture forth on a path of self-discovery, unearthing the immense potential that lies within our awakened consciousness. Although the Pleiadian presence may seem surreal to us, it is important to discern that their arrival won't be apocalyptic. The future of humanity spans eons, and each great civilization that has blossomed has paved the way for future generations of humanity. In this sense, we are responsible for our own fate. Ultimately, human civilization lies in our own hands, and no one can decide its fate but us. Life can be challenging, but these challenges allow us to grow spiritually. Even in our darkest hour, we can find hope, comfort, and joy in the simple act of living life. Ultimately, as we overcome challenges, we emerge as stronger and wiser beings. We are all part of a greater plan guided by an intelligence far greater than our own, and we have much to learn from a higher perspective. For now, 
the time is right to set aside your fears. Open your heart and mind to new possibilities and be ready to meet these bright lights in the night sky with an open, loving heart. The Pleiadian emissaries of light come in peace, seeking to elevate and inspire the world through their presence and teachings. In coming here, they convey invaluable insights into the nature of reality, inviting all to awaken and co-create a greater reality together. I have no doubt that their mission will indeed help transform humanity's experience and perception of the world. And through their teachings, they can help us remember who we really are, a beautiful enlightened race that came here to master the art of ascension. What is your role in the grand scheme of things? Will you fear the future or will you embrace it? Will you take charge of your own destiny or will you continue waiting to be saved? The answer lies within you and beyond. So, dear ones, hold on to that glimmer of hope, for it is about to burst into a radiant sunrise. The Pleiadian ships bring not just the promise of transformation, but also the invitation for us to embrace our own greatness and embark on a remarkable journey of self-discovery. Let us prepare ourselves for the wonders that await as we step together into this extraordinary chapter of human existence. We love you dearly. We are here with you. We are your family of light. We are the Galactic Federation. Aho. This is a message to humanity from Aurora Ray, Ambassador of the Galactic Federation. Love is always the answer, everybody. And I was also going to say this is a time of the biggest challenge for all people in all walks of life. And the Buddha never said it was going to be easy. Yet the goal is to meet the challenge because we never ask for anything less than what we can do. In other words, our higher self knows what is the best for us, even though the ego may be, well, say, whining all the way home, you might say. <laughs> and so I'm going to leave everybody with these words. I spoke them on yesterday evening, and this is from a sister to another brother. I know. You can do anything. You are so powerful. You can change any appearance to what you know is right and just. I just love you. There is no blame, shame, or guilt. So, let the fear go. Aho, mitakuyasu. Thirteen thank yous, honey in the heart, no evil. Live long and prosper. Ah, long life. Rama. Inshallah. 
Satnam. Satnam Ji. Until we meet again, everyone, this afternoon in our time zone. We'll see you all here at 2.30 Mountain Time. Manya. <laughs> Aloha. Aloha Nui Loa. Namaste.